myself and pretend you did. I'd be very, very careful who you talk to about that, because the person who wrote that is dangerous. And that sound means this is um, going to be permanent. So <laughs> whatever you say. We'll go down in your permanent history. It will go down in your permanent record, actually. Yeah. If yeah. only that it ever changed my behavior in the past. It, I, like, I know. Is it, it, <laughs> this is the <laughs> this is the auditory version of a tattoo. So we should get drunk. <laughs> oh, man, I want that Tweety Bird on my left calf so bad. <laughs> or maybe a Superman logo or something that no, I no. Can, like, um, how it goes? What is it in the in the um, apprenticeship into becoming a tattooer um you need to do a self-portrait after you get almost blackout drunk apparently that's the the hazing and i've seen some good self-portraits all right welcome to another episode of the dissect podcast we are already off the rails uh michael has just saw the nearest rabbit hole and jumped in jumped in head first okay. and and to be fair it, it's not unexpected this is Mark. Michael's here, obviously. <laughs> Ross is with us, Mr. Andy Stumpf, who hosts the uh, Cleared Hot podcast, is with us. And uh, during this podcast, actually, we were probably going to be referencing an episode that uh, Andy and I recorded for the Cleared Hot podcast, which will certainly be posted before this does. Um, and so if there are any inside jokes you're not getting, you probably ought to figure out uh, where you can download that and listen to it because... Um, you know, it'll uh, it, it might clear some things up. July sixteenth, Monday, early morning, it'll be out. Excellent, right. excellent. Also with us, Mr. Chris Pipes. Um, I don't even know how to just <laughs> shit disturber extraordinaire. We'll just put it that way. <laughs> no, let's use my description. Okay, your ridiculous friend. Yeah, my ridiculous friend. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So I've got, so. I guess two. <clears throat> well, no, I've got four of my ridiculous friends <laughs> in, 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 the, in the podcast studio and. Um, are we looking for a name change? Mark and his ridiculous friends. It's almost like a band. <laughs> it, it is almost. Wait, wait. Could we do? It's a bumper sticker at least. It, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm pretty sure Marky Mark is already taken. <laughs> <laughs> he had the, the funky bunch. So, it, you know. So ridiculous friends, not so different from Marky funky Mark bunch. bunch. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. God damn. All right. So. We decided on a sort of a, a topic, um, and, and part of this, it, it's something we've been thinking about for a while, but um, since Andy is with us, uh, and some people might sort of look at his life, history, current gig, jam, whatever you want to call it, yep. as a um, thrill-seeking. Mm. Um, a lot of people uh, call, you know, use thrill-seeking in a derogatory sense. I I don't think that's the case. I don't think anybody in the room is is uh, square with that. So uh, we wanted to sort of explore the idea of you know the the sort of n not difference, but the juxtaposition or the uh, inclusion of thrill seeking within the concept of thought seeking or experience seeking. And um, because you know some people will say, and and I've, I have been one of them in the past, certain, most certainly after um, you know to to, to um, make derogatory comments about base jumping because, you know, usually it's after, you know, a climbing friend of mine got killed. I'm like, what the fucking Steve just, you know, died doing something cool, man. 
like <laughs> climbing some crazy shit instead of jumping off some crazy shit. Yep. You know, which was my, you know, weird line in the sand or whatever. Like we had, I, I drew some arbitrary lines about like what was okay for me and what was not. And that activity is certainly not okay for me because um, being an addict, uh, I know exactly where that leads. And, yep. uh, and, and, I, and I don't think, um, you know, one of the, one of the you know, the, there, is, there is an aspect of, for me, with, with climbing, which the sort of slow pace with which things unfolded, the, the difficulty, the actual, you know, sort of fighting against gravity or, you know, working against it in a way was, um, was part of it that helped me um, like be, be present and um, like things happen slow enough that I could observe the, you know, myself, my climbing partners and the actions we were taking within the environment in the moment that it was actually happening where um, the things for me, especially because I'm not sharp enough or something that when they happen that fast that I have to look back after the fact is th- th- that for me is where I kind of drew the line in terms of like what I was willing to do or able to do or trusted myself to do maybe. And, but I do realize that there are minds you know, out there that, that um, have been trained or practiced to, to assimilate information at a much higher rate of speed than I do. And so therefore, um, you know, the experience may be quite similar and I just was not able to see it. The first skydive I ever did which I did because I was frustrated and jealous. That is what drove me to skydiving. Because after, uh, you know, the pipeline for my career, they sent us to Fort Benning, Georgia, to learn static line jumping, which feels like climbing on the roof of this building, jumping off onto your face. Uh, And you have to do it five times. The first landing I ever did, they teach you for two weeks, the PLF, also known as a parachute landing fall, where you're supposed to have five points of contact, essentially... Two hands, two feet, and a face? Well, that's (laughs) not the way it's supposed to be, but you're smoothly supposed to roll to the ground, diffusing the impact, and I went on my first jump back of the heels, back of the head, and stared up at the aircraft of the other hundreds of jumpers that were jumping out and thought to myself, there's no way I can do this four more times. (laughs) Because my head was just... And then I go to my first team, and we do all of the trainings in chunks. We'll dive for longer than you would ever want to dive. You'll get into Zodiacs for longer than you ever want to be in Zodiacs, and then air air operations come around. And most of the time, we're in C-130s, which are great planes to jump out of. And on the left-hand side is the static line jumpers, and on the right-hand side is the free fall jumpers. And on the left-hand side, looks like people marching to Auschwitz. They're... <laughs> walking skeletons ghost they're, white they're ghost white <laughs> they know that they're walking to their death on the right side of the aircraft are people high-fiving telling jokes hooting and hollering and when at a thousand feet the ramp opens they also point and laugh at my side <laughs> of the aircraft so so it's pretty clear which side of the aircraft you eventually want to be on oh my god so you do your jump and if you're lucky you do the parachute landing fall correctly and then you hear other people yelling medic <laughs> and you know you he occasionally hear a femur go off like a shotgun blast it's an amazing experience and then the free fall guys get down and it's like the hooting and hollering continues and when i came in you had to have been a team guy for like six years before they would even consider teaching you 
to get on the right side of the aircraft. aircraft. <laughs> yeah. So I was like, okay, there's a drop zone right here in San Diego. And I went and I said, hey, I want you to teach me how to skydive. So they put me through a robust four-hour class <laughs> covering all of the wave tops that I needed to memorize to save my own life. Yeah. And I did my first jump that Friday. And the only thing so did you go so when you went through that uh that that school was there a tandem jump involved or no you first one to like it was just here right lesson one through five and then kick you out of the they uh, taught you proverbial about, right side of the plane pretty much taught you about the more it's more about the equipment and how to deal with the malfunction and they okay. put a jump master on each side and if you get to the point where you're at the door you're you're going out of the aircraft they oh yeah prefer that you assist them out of the aircraft but you want to talk about um, being overwhelmed and things moving too quickly. There was an altimeter on my wrist. I don't know what number the needle was pointing at, but I know there were numbers because I was so tunnel vision and overwhelmed. I mean, the it I equate it to when you know, you got too many too many programs running on uh, like a MacBook and you just get the scroll wheel. Yeah, that's. I'm sure the instructors saw that in my eyes. Double scroll wheels, just <laughs> ha, ha. But I had a smile on my face. Arch your back, it. man. Yeah. It's smile and relax. <laughs> yeah. Now, the second jump, you know, it's like, oh, I, that altimeter is attached to my wrist, and maybe I can see my fingers. And then <laughs> 100 jumps later, you know, you, it's it's eight jumps, seven or eight jumps, and you're on your own, and you're jumping on your own. And to say that I would have to go back and watch video of jumps that I was on to really remember what had happened yeah, would be an understatement because my world was so small and it wasn't until I had spent enough time in the kiddie pool that things got much wider. And then thousands of jumps later, you remember everything. And then you're like telling yourself jokes in free fall and laughing at yourself because you're, you know. While you're doing it. Yeah, you're yeah. an idiot farting in the bathtub laughing about it while you're in free fall. <laughs> it's ridiculous, but it's learned over years. So I bet... It's very similar to climbing. I think it was just a different. It's just a different avenue. Oh yeah. It's. I would say the pursuits are relatively because I when I jump now, I'm thinking more about. Well, in the skydiving world, I could probably think about less time in the future. I can think about the next few seconds. In the base jumping world, I'm extending that a little bit farther because of the proximity to the ground. Right. But it's all forward thinking. In my memory, the things that I'm able to recall are much more clear than people who are very new to the sport. I think the further that you can think ahead, yep. the more able you are to be present in the moment. Correct. And and, and that is fully based on experience. Think and about somebody who's never been in a violent confrontation. Hmm. If they are involved in one and you ask them about specific details that happened during that confrontation, almost nobody can tell you because they're overwhelmed. Yep. All of their senses are firing. You ask a UFC guy, who gets in a street fight or a violent confrontation, what happened? He's going to give you chapter and verse. Oh, yeah, this guy was doing this. He was wearing this. It's all – you have to – in my opinion, you have to – it has to be taught. You have to – there's the knowledge and then there's the experience. And the people who survive long enough on that trajectory combine both. Yeah. But I see a lot of similarities in climbing and base jumping in that things seem to you to be – Moving slowly. A lot of the times for me when I'm jumping, things things seem to be moving very slowly. I had a good a good friend that I grew up with, and he was an incredible skier. And uh, once he, he described, he, he said, and, and I was asking him, you know, it was the advent, it was an era, we were young, so there were Walkmans, and there were the first sort of Walkmans with headphones, and he was like, <laughs> marvelous thing to go skiing with. And he said, and I asked him, you know, so what are you, what are you listening to, you know, when you're fucking straight lining that shit? And he goes, oh... 
you know, sometime, I mean, this is, this will date it, you know, he's, he's just like, yeah, there was a new Pat Metheny album. I'm like, that's really slow. Like, it seems like you should be listening to some hardcore or whatever. And he goes, no, 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 you get to a certain speed and everything slows right down. Yeah. And so it's the perfect jam. Mm-hmm. And it completely changed my outlook on things of that nature. And, and ultimately later in life, I mean, I used to hate going fast in, in, you know, any condition because usually that meant fast meant out of control. And n- now, you know, I'm looking at the, the average speeds of the, the descent off the backside of the, the crusher race, gravel mm-hmm. race that happened today. My friend uh, Tim Matthews on the, on the c- certain dirt section, he's like his average speed is, you know, 36, 37 miles an hour on a two-wheeled bicycle going down a gravel road. <laughs> no, thanks. Yeah, peak 46 <laughs> miles an hour. And I'm just, I'm just like, oh, yeah, yeah, I get it. That's, that's totally fine. But imagine we try that on day one. Oh, no. Oh, yeah. You'd end up in the fucking forest. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Indo. I, there is something that happens uh, descending down. So, like there is a flow state, whatever you want to call it, that happens where uh, I think you mentioned this knowledge and experience part, which is really quite interesting if you, if you, because there are things that experience can teach you. And then there's these certain things that no matter how masterful you are, you can't hand down to somebody. Like we can talk about all the technical aspects. We can talk yep. about all the things that are intellectual. And then there's this like, go feel it. And then yep. you, you have to feel that when whatever tunnel vision, you have to feel the fear, you have to feel all these things in order to learn whatever the exit of, or combination of knowledge and experience gives the, you. The esoteric lessons yeah. are felt, yeah. not. So the best description of base jumping I've heard is that, you know, there's two beers in front of me. Let's call these two empty cups. One of them is luck and one of them is experience. When you start off, you have only luck, and your only goal is to put as much of that into the experience bucket as possible before it kills you. <laughs> and, and if you do, wow. then it doesn't kill you. Or Yeah. yeah. But, I mean, it's, you, you have no experience to draw from when you first start, and yeah. it's you're getting lucky is what it comes down to. So, and, and the sad thing about that is that, like, every time you're successful, you, you think it came from the experience cup. If you're not self-aware, yes. Then you start strapping go. seven GoPros on, and you start a YouTube channel, and you go out in a blaze of glory. Hmm. Fuck, with seven cameras, that must have been a... Man, if somebody could just cut that footage together. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's funny. I've been on YouTube yeah. probably too much in my adult life, but I've never seen a video worth dying for. <laughs> I don't know. There was that one. <laughs> it's amazing, though, how much it drives people's behavior. I've it's, seen it on exit points where it's a cacophony of GoPros turning on. And the guy turns and looks at me. He's like, hey, man, can you check to make sure all these are gone? It's like, no, actually, I'm leaving because I don't want to witness this. I yeah. know what you're trying to do and why you're doing it. And uh, I'm just going to go have a beer. I'm totally out of here. I'm done for the day. There, so there you don't film your stuff. Unless it's like... I film my stuff, but I almost do it as a record of something that I can look back for. Okay, okay. I can think of a few jumps in my life where skydiving is a little bit different because I, from a risk perspective, mm-hmm. there is a huge difference. You have time, It's time. You have time to work shit out if it goes bad. Mm-hmm. In the base jumping world, you can get some pretty impressive pictures flying a few feet off the ground at 120 miles an hour between two trees Mm -hmm. and occasionally it's like you know what i'm I'm ripping those tree gates because that's going to trend on the old ig (laughs) Uh, okay and there's that there's that thought in your head for sure Mm -hmm. for sure there's your thought in the head and what changes it and what i constantly try to be aware of is am i doing this for me or am i doing this because this is what my sponsors expect of me 
there's a huge difference in headspace for me personally between those two things. So I'll go and I'll go do a week no GoPro on just to gauge how I'm feeling. Am I, why am I so scared right now? Why am I so hesitant right now? If I had a GoPro on, would my behavior be different? And I'm looking for... If I had a camera crew here, would my behavior be different? Oh, yeah. And GoPros have killed more people than probably any technological advice. And I don't say that meaning GoPro is responsible, right. but it changed the behavior of the person in front of the lens. Well, this is one... Well, I mean, it's not just anecdotal. This is like very, you know, it's in the literature of being scientifically provable that you turn on a camera and somebody changes their behavior. Yep. I, I, I was probably under the impression that there was this such thing, and there is, I'm not going to take away that this doesn't exist, but that thrill seeking is like this adrenaline junkie, this, this kind of person that needs this in order to get that hit of whatever the chemical formation is. And then, um, I started looking into it, and it seems like more or less there's this experience that is to be had. And, and most um, intellectual, quote-unquote, thrill-seekers will refer to as a moment of, like, clarity. Mm -hmm. a, 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 like a, they, I think it's frequently talked about as being a void. Like, there is a moment where you are – you did everything that you possibly could so that you could experience this one moment where there is no control of anything. And maybe that's the first, like, I don't and know, And you're 100% present in that yes. moment. Yeah. Yep. yeah, because your attention can't go anywhere. And this is something that most humans don't realize exists for them, like an empty mind, whatever you want to call it. And that that totally changed me looking at videos. And I think maybe I can't um, discern the difference between, like, the thrill seeker who's, like, giving their Instagram followers what they want. But I think you've mentioned it before, uh, of posting a video of a guy checking himself. And it's like... Are you checking whether you know what's going on or are you checking whether you were going to record this experience for other people? And maybe that's the difference is like there's this sequence where they're checking like, you know, their suit, where's their pole, where's that? And they do it like a dozen times. It's called fear. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. For sure. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. <clears throat> Virtual. And seeing yeah. that kind of changed my perspective on what I would consider like, oh, they look at like they need that fast punch. And it's like, no, I think. I think this experience is only had as the result of like absolute um, uh, perfection and practice. Like I am practicing this so many times, therefore I can experience this one thing that other people aren't willing to do. So they look at it like, oh, it's a thrill. It lasts a second. And I look at it like, okay, how much time have you thought about this planned, hiked up, packed a shoot, done the hike up, put on your stuff, gone over Like, yeah, the, the moment of clarity might last less than a second. But the experience to get that point is a decade uh, for, for what I see for experienced guys. Well, and the impact of those short moments mm. will far outweigh and outlive the moment in and of itself. Mm. Um, I'm trying to think. There's a lot in what you just said. There's actually quite a bit to unpack inside of that. I think there, I think there are people who are looking for that moment, mm. and I think that there are people who are pure thrill seekers. I believe totally anecdotally from just what I've seen with my own eyes that I think that I've seen both. I don't know if I could look at somebody and see the difference, but what I will say is I think the most dangerous place to be in that equation is not understanding which side of that coin that you're on. Uh. Um, jumping, there is, a, it feels amazing. I mean, it is hard to describe being able to for one, when I stand on the edge of a cliff, I'm scared out of my fucking mind. My resting heart rate is at least 150. 
um, and I go through the ritual. It's a routine because what I'm doing is I'm I'm closing the last zipper on the suitcase of my mind. I'm making sure that everything is the order that it should be in, and then that thought falls away once I get myself through that routine. It's a crutch, essentially, to start to bridge my way through that fear because I can't fly afraid. I don't fly afraid. If anything, I fly incredibly aggressive because I'm trying to go as fast as I can possibly go. But it's terrifying. I don't want to die. I actually want to live. Right, which is another interesting equation because how far do you want to go in that in that in and of itself? And I mean, shit, we could probably talk about that for an hour. But that moment when you bend your knees and you rock forward, and regardless of what I was going to do before that, I can't take it back because there's a point in that fulcrum of my body coming forward where you're committed. And I tell people the jump is optional; everything that happens after you do is mandatory. And that commitment and that the things that happen in my head leading up to that jump it's uh it's almost like cutting your way through an onion uh and i i mean you cry daily (laughs) just daily (laughs) mostly when i look in the mirror in the morning (laughs) god i was dealt a shit hand um you know, everybody has the same worries, right? Like mm. you're probably navigating relationship, financial, whatever it is, and you're thinking about all that shit when you're packing your parachute because a lot of that is just totally rote. It's if you can fold laundry, you can pack a parachute. Mm-hmm. Let's just pull the curtain back. So ninety percent of the country can't. <clears throat> probably, I'm just, I'm just, yeah. <laughs> but they could learn because it's really like put A on top of B and make a fold. It's not that hard. But you can pay someone to do that for you, just like laundry. You totally right. can. Yeah. Yep. Um, and then you start hiking around, and you're thinking about a, a ton of stuff, mm-hmm. and. For me, those hikes were when I had, would have some of the deepest conversations with my friends, specifically Alex. It's yeah. amazing how deep you could go because I think you're in, you're in a vulnerable place because mm-hmm. you recognize, like, you're getting pretty close to doing some dangerous shit. And you're, you're, I mean, you're voluntarily heading there. You're voluntarily heading and- there. You're sharing the pursuit, and you're also sharing the emotions that are building. And, you know, as you get closer, let's – you know, financially, right? Like, God damn it, the mortgage check is due. When you're a minute from jumping, you're not thinking about that. That layer of the onion is sliced mm-hmm. and gone. I just got into an argument with my significant other. Sliced, gone. By the time it gets to the point where I am checking, and I put my, I'm very procedural based. I put my gear on. I lay it out out of the backpack exactly the same way. I put it on exactly the same way. And I do it because I don't want to miss a step and I don't want to make shit up along the way but when i skydive i touch all of my handles in exactly the same order every single jump and i'm at over seven thousand jumps now every single Ooh. time i do it so when i get to the edge and i'm thinking about my wife i'm thinking about my kids i have thoughts when i'm hiking up like what would happen to my kids if i go in on this jump and the the conversation of is this worth it is there a reward from this all of that fades away and the onion peels and the onion peels and when you rock, when you bend your knees and you rock forward, because you have to push out, and <laughs> it's all gone. It's the beginning of that void, and it slows down for me a little bit, and it's dead quiet because you have zero airspeed. You launch off, and it's just like poof, nothing, mm-hmm. and then it picks up speed. The suit starts inflating, and the next thing you know, instead of looking at the r- ground right in front of me, going, "Oh fuck!" which is kind of what I'm doing sometimes in my head because that's exciting to scare yourself. (laughs) But the gaze, the gaze starts lifting up 
Mm-hmm. And I'm not looking at where I'm going to hit. I'm looking at where I'm going to go. And mm-hmm. that's the only thing I'm thinking about. And I'm processing stuff in the, at that speed, at that velocity. And it's all feel and it's all vision. And what I find is that when I land, or let's say I do a two-week trip overseas, I come back from that, the mortgage stuff doesn't bother me as much anymore. The marriage stuff doesn't bother me as much anymore because I think I've been able to emotionally dump all of the bullshit garbage that I think everybody carries around with them. And for me, I don't know what, and this is why it's hard for me to determine what my future is going to look like in this particular activity. I don't know what I would look like as a person without that ability to empty that. Because if I think back, I felt it before base jumping. I think anybody can experience it if you can dedicate yours. I felt it in organized sports when I was younger. Just getting lost, and you'd be something simple like, hey, I got lost in the moment, right? Like the perfect pat, not that I played football. I played a fucking man sport called water polo. It's no big deal. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a big deal, people. The uniforms are pretty sweet. <laughs> Ned would appreciate that. He certainly would. Certainly but <laughs> I didn't experience it to that degree, but I definitely had moments where I was like, man, I don't even know who was driving the ship. It was kind of mm-hmm. just on autopilot. You're in the moment. The first time I really recognized it was at about the one minute out call on a helo ride coming in on a target overseas. And because I had the same conversations in the helicopter. And then I started recognizing, I'm like, God, you're in a helicopter in Iraq flying, you know, we're setting car alarms off as the helicopters are going. And I'm sitting there, I'm like, did I pay the cable check this month? <laughs> I swear to God, you're like the dumbest shit's going on in your head. But then you start getting closer and that thought's gone. And then again, I would start thinking about my kids. I'd start thinking about my wife. And I would just walk myself through a ritual. And it sounds harsh, but I would intentionally walk myself to a point where I was like, I will no longer think about the people that I love until I'm done with what I need to do. And then at the one minute out, you were myopically focused and in the moment of what's coming out at you in the next 60 seconds. And you're not looking right in front of you, you're looking ahead. Mm-hmm. Because you're looking for pattern recognition. You're looking for threats to your life. And that's like the void again. Mm -hmm. And then I got out of the military. And I think one of the reasons for me that I was drawn to what I do now was the realization that I needed an outlet. And not that mine's the most healthiest. uh, And not that I recommend people do what I do. But it changes who I am as a person. And I realized that I needed it. There's a a parallel there about like, in being in that helicopter and talked about it <clears throat> a lot when I was climbing and it actually is a, a section in extreme alpinism about the psychological acclimatization to the hard thing that you're about to do and how much you have to cut away and why it takes so long. I spend, uh, you know, let's just say two weeks getting, if I'm on a trip to the Himalayas or whatever, there's a whole process of like getting, you know, from where I am in the valley, if you will, which yeah. is what I, how I refer to being home, um, and, and, and getting to the base of the thing that we're actually going to try. And that could be two weeks. It could be four weeks if there's a high-altitude acclimatization process or whatever. But you go through this step-by-step procedure. Sometimes it's organic. Sometimes it's somewhat clinical to cut away everything that is holding you to the ground. Because you can't go because f- on these routes are so fucking hard. You can't go up there with any kind of tether holding you to the ground, or you'll fail. I was going to say and you can, but the result is not going to be what you're looking. Yeah, you just for. won't get. You, I mean, you could. Yeah, it could be an accident or whatever. You just might not succeed because because it will be like, oh, there's something pulling me too hard, 
and 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 so you go through this this process of getting there and like i said it's two weeks it's three weeks it's four weeks or whatever but the 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 flip side of that is coming back like yeah now i've been in pakistan or whatever for two and a half months and we've tried the thing and we're we failed to do the thing or we did the thing whatever it is and then in like five days you're on a plane home like you get the fuck out of the country as fast as you can. You don't have anything to carry on the way out because it's all gone. You turned all the food into shit, so there's none of that to carry. So you just run for the fucking nearest airport and you get out and then you you know get back home and realize like, oh my God, I was really, really far away mm-hmm. on all sorts of levels. Yeah. And I didn't allow myself the time to sort of come back and reintegrate so that I can actually say hello when she opens the door when I get there. <laughs> like, in a way that is meaningful or whatever, because I, I'm still, yeah. you know, 90% of me is still there in that headspace. And, um, and, I, and, and I think this is, a, this is something, certainly for me, that changed and the reason that I quit climbing, you know, more or less cold turkey at, at, at that level at a certain point was like, I have too much holding tying me to the ground now. Like I can't afford the next step in this process that we started for me is X and I can't do it because I really like being here and I can't and, and I care enough about these people or situations in my life where I won't cut it away. So I guess I just can't do this thing anymore. Yeah. And, you know, bravo to you for having found something that allowed you to, to, to sort of visit, you know, cut away, visit that place and come back and reintegrate almost in a, I'm not going to say a normal life, but pretty damn close. I think pretty normal. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you, you, get, you what, got well, a truck yeah. and... Totally. I do you know, have a truck. Like, <laughs> I do have a bitching truck. <laughs> which makes all of this worth it. Absolutely. That's yeah. why I left. There was some really uh, cool things that kind of came up in that. And, and I, would, I would say, not to generalize your experience, because that isn't what I would aim to do. This sounds a hell of a lot like any writing that you've heard out of feudal Japan about Zen and the sword and like removing the self and abstraction and and these why we practice meticulously and go over details so that we can forget the details and I think like life these days gives us nothing but details and all of those are abstractions right they represent something else that's not us and so um, this little thing that I'm drawing in my notebook has what I what I mentioned before was knowledge versus experience will give you yourself right and if I use the knowledge which is kind of the easiest thing to obtain as knowledge then I can know myself but if I know myself I can experience myself but in order to bridge that gap you need to remove the things that are covering it which is my mortgage which is these things are representative of who I think that I am a lot of this is status stuff why is the like you you mentioned the mortgage because i think that's something a lot of people could relate to like there's this looming stress yeah. of like hey this thing is shadow or distraction would be right. another great word for distraction it, from right. finding or discovering or experiencing yourself exactly and, and it's kind of funny that it generally has to do with money right not that money is a pejorative or any of this but money is the ultimate abstraction it represents something valuable that is actually not valuable and Fight Club's got some pretty good quotes. The things you own end up owning, owning you. Right. Yeah. And, and that's I and mean, this is this comes back to kind of the root of philosophy, right? Oh. <laughs> 
We're that's on our a, second beer. Whatever, that's an audio yeah. high five right there. <laughs> Third pitcher of beer, man, and you still can't ask. <laughs> um, this idea of uh, of unpeeling the onion is is rooted in almost every philosophical practice that there is. It doesn't matter if you're Eastern philosophy or you know the Greeks or Stoic or whatever you go. Everybody's trying to remove the innocuous stuff that doesn't matter. And I think if you get something that is high risk enough. You, you have a chance at doing that if you do it properly. And I think maybe that's what I'm seeing here. I, but I think ultimately, the I would say that the life objective, and this is, there's a whole unfinished, about to be finished book <laughs> in that other room about um, <clears throat> trying to find a way in the valley, if you will, that... Um, that within which you can still sort of turn those pressures on and off or turn those stresses on and off or to find that experience or to, 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 to not be ruled by those details or those, those ideas without necessarily needing the presence of risk. Yes, you for sure need strong experiences, but it doesn't. But what uh, point can you harness that experience into something less extreme yes. to, to, to obtain that focus and that flow like in the middle of, you know, of a da daily life. Because I think back to, now I have achieved approximately zero in comparison to the people that I'm sitting with. But I do think back to those brief moments, largely to do with sports, you know, snowboarding, you know, skateboarding, those, those little sections where you're like, oh man, I would do anything to go back to that because I was so in the moment. And the challenge is now, I mean, I spend a large part of my life in an office at a desk or dealing with, just dealing with people that it's tough to unpack you know the, and mark and michael know some history of the lengths i will go to to try and find that like head space where you're like no nope, don't need this right now don't need this right now but i think so, so many people are encumbered and have no clue because they don't know they've never had that catalyzing moment you know of of knowing what it's like to be without and to, to be untethered and to be unchained. Or, or knowing, knowing what it's like to, for all of the, the, the layers of the stress that they have sort of self-imposed or accepted um, or, and feel on a sort of daily basis, never experienced where all of, a, a moment where that was rendered meaningless. But the instant that you do that, the instant you have that, is the moment when you can start to sort of engineer or design um, an, an, an existence, if you will, which gives you a more voluntary relationship with that sort of stress when i was in africa a couple of years ago um i'm not a hunter you know <laughs> per se i have hunted but i wouldn't class put myself in have you been hunted <laughs> well my wife you know uh, but you know that, but that was it's good. saturday <laughs> night and we know trails has five dollar steaks <laughs> there you go done um so but but i remember that was a pretty uh, good outcome if i'm not mistaken you being the Hunted the, the prey, hunted, the prey. Yeah, 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 I think so. Yeah, I mean, ask her now. I'm not sure how convinced she is of that, but yeah. I think at the time she was pretty happy. Um, <laughs> but when um, the first few kills that I had, surreal. How was your heart rate? It incredibly elevated, and then I felt like everything dropped. So the adrenaline rush, the adrenaline dumps. You taste copper in the back of your mouth. Yep. And there's a video that of me taking, I think it was my second animal, 
and it's dusk and it's about 225 yards out and the, the stags at the kind of at the crest of the hill and you can hear the ph talking to me he's like if you say that you're good then take the shot and we had to walk and walk and stalk like three different times set up it's on sticks i'm not i'm not fast but in that moment it's like i mean it's just this moment of clarity mm. everything fades out i can't hear his noise his his voice i can't hear anything so his voice is in the video but you don't remember hearing. i, hear, I remember nothing just, of it yeah. and then it's breathe boom you know and it's i mean it's a very primal thing I mean, you mm. do it all all the time but i've n- i've never experienced anything in my life that could teach me or give me that moment i mean there and there are so there are there I, are yeah, opportunities. i don't think you can teach that moment no that what he's talking about has to be experienced mm. you can talk about what happens from that moment but to understand it you have to be in it yeah and and how do you take that you know, and how do you explain that to people and and help them understand what they're missing out on? You know, how do you and, and, and what is potentially available to them? Yeah, because it's, it's a human experience. You can have it. You go home like, after that, and we sit down around the campfire, and there's just this like weird, like I, I don't even know. It's not serenity. It's not because everybody's shit talking. You know, because that's kind of. What that's happened. the mask for the uncomfortable <coughs> or the vulnerability that you have for it. Is yeah, but yeah. but there's like a solemnity and there's just this thing, and it's not you know there's a moment after you've you've got the animal where you're you're like, wow, this is a beautiful thing that's taken place, but it's so much it, it kind of sticks with you, and I don't know if it fades over time, but those first few, I mean, I just I'm like, so this is what life's all about. Which makes no sense to anyone hearing that. You know, they're like, you just shot something and you're eating it. I'm like, yeah, like the most basic primitive survival thing <laughs> that we can really do. And you, I don't care about anything else. I don't, I've got no service. I've got no emails. I've got no chatter. We've, we'd have we'd no electricity, you know. And, and so I don't know. How do, you, how do you take the essence of that and bring it into your, into your daily life? So we did an experience for some professional athletes about a year ago and uh, <clears throat> took them out to the woods, took away everything that they had that was normal, gave them clothes that were specific just to that experience, right? Um, gathered them around and had one of the guys make fire uh, from friction, right? So old-fashioned bow drill. And uh, their Which, by the way, takes longer than the 20 seconds it does on Bear Grylls. <laughs> <laughs> There's editing involved in that yeah. sequence. Much. <laughs> Much editing. Yeah. And blisters, yeah. I believe, oh, as well. <laughs> Hours, if you're lucky. Well, Bill had, had, all, the, uh, had all the stuff prepped, so he, he snapped it right out. The interesting thing was the, uh, the guys around, of course, it's about 40 degrees. It's lightly raining. They're under ponchos and poncho liners, so they're they're not getting sleeping bags. They know they're going to be out there all night. This is it, and uh, their only instructions were, "Okay, guys, uh, that fire gets no bigger, but it also doesn't go out. We'll see you in the morning." And uh, the amount of the the energy that turned in to the group, right? They all bonded around that in that moment, right? So they've got heat and light coming out of this thing. Um, and so they hadn't hunted, they hadn't done that, and they hadn't really participated together as a crew for longer than about 30 minutes. They were instantly bonded together, right? And they were instantly in this moment where they weren't worried about 
their sports scores. They weren't worried about what the coaches thought of them. What they were really worried about was that fire going out and finding dry firewood, maybe. But more importantly, at that moment, they were totally drawn into that heat and that light. Um, and it was an amazing experience just to watch it occur because you felt, or I did, like I was being pulled into that crew almost through gravity. I mean, it felt like there, there was this very primal thing that dated very far back, right? And I think, so there, there is something in this. And, and, and I think one of the important things that, that uh, Mark and Michael have done and, and, and we all kind of aspire to do is find this exact experience in something that you can do every day so we're not having to go to the cliff or go into combat or go hang off of an ice axe uh, <laughs> right in order to get this thing that we can this magic that we can bring back and make our our people our family our tribe better so he said something about the the peeling the onion you said something very different and i, I and i all of these things are um well when we when we relate an experience the first thing I usually hear in conversing with somebody, like if, if, if it's not a mutual person that experienced these things, is like the excuses start to roll out. Like, oh, wouldn't that be cool if I could just go to Africa and hunt? Or wouldn't that be nice if I could go to Norway and jump off a cliff? Or it must be nice to like have all these experiences handed to you. And I think one Which is exactly why we want to figure out a way to make them available exactly. without the financial or geographic distance but I think between if, the if, individual if, if or risk but or, the excuses are are, are the abstract that that is the later a little bit man right <laughs> like the the excuses are I mean that's what stops everybody that's that's what you're stripping away like the the thought and the fear of the mortgage the thought and the fear of the fight with your spouse all of those are excuses to get you to try to persuade you away from removing it to see what's left like you're removing everything down to the bottom to see. Well, what's if you left it, the, the the higher you elevate those things in terms of importance, mm -hmm. the, the 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 more your focus is put on those things, mm -hmm. and the less you are required to look at yourself and experience yourself. Right. So all of those little trivial, you know, valley type of stresses um, are, are things that are in the way. Not, they're, they're not in the way of you going to Norway and jumping off a cliff. They're, that, that they're in the way of you, that they're in between you and yourself mm. and experiencing yourself. And I think that's the, mm. the, the, the thing to try and in maybe more controlled circumstances to, to you know, present, show, whatever, and then, you know, kick people out of the nest and like figure out, okay, go and figure out your version of this so that maybe you eventually can get to your cliff or so, you know, so I don't know anything or, um, minus the risk. I mean, because we can um, give experiences in a controlled environment, but risk to me, like I think there has to be risk involved. Like I, I think that is one of the factors that allows you to wager correctly or to, to like good man. Thank you. Okay. So yeah. So there's gotta be a willingness to risk and, and, and I, I want to jump on on that because uh, we'll we'll go back to Steve Cutler and he and Jamie. I thought I think their Steven, whole Stephen, for the record. Uh, yeah, yeah. My apologies, Stephen. Uh, I switch like, in stays <laughs> Stephen and James. I'm just, <laughs> <laughs> I really liked their uh, the whole idea of beyond the pale, right? So beyond the fence, 
and and I think uh, one of the things we're talking about here is the being the perpetual line stepper, right? I'm willing to step across the line. I'm willing to go for that risk. I'm risking, you know, right? Flip the and, fucking fence, exactly. Like in a heartbeat, yeah. exactly. So, I mean, even from hey, I was trained in MFF, right? And mm-hmm. then I went to civilian skydive, and then from civilian skydive to maybe free fly, and then you know, and 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 base jumping, right? So cliffs, antennas, all the other fun mm-hmm. things. I mean, it's it's that willing to constantly push or step across that that line that somebody else has sort of arbitrarily drawn a line you go ah, bullshit it's the same skill i'm doing this just like that it's possible so what's possible and a lot of people are not willing to so that's the excuses is it's not even possible it's not even a reality it's not even a potential right. thing yeah w- which is unfortunate and this is why you know a lot of when when we had i, I think we fell on this idea uh 2000, I'm just going to go with 2011 because it's the first time I remember formally talking about it of, of how increased capability increases opportunity or in my parlance was, you know, it, ex, it, 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 it expands the size of your map, mm-hmm. right? Like right now you're just going around in this little tiny urban environment. The map is this big because you have all of these things, that these, these artificial fences that you have built yourself or allowed to be built around you and you can't hop that fence. It's too fucking high. And then you learn a skill you start to believe in yourself within the context of that particular thing that fence gets lower that trail actually opens up that edge of the world kind of thing i mean you can walk out to the edge and find out that it really is not fucking flat but you know you need to do some work to get there to be able to walk that far (laughs) there was something um when you said when you look where you want to go which i think um i can relate heavily to that when you're you know uh Bike racing and descending gives you this a similar sensation where you get caught up in what's right in front of you because you're gathered by people that seem like they're they're the obstacle. Like, oh man, if, the- yeah. And if you get stuck on the wheel in <laughs> right. front of you, you're fucked. It's yeah. too. Anything it's, happens, it's too late. And so you have to look where you want to go. Like you need to identify the potholes and the dangers, like the corners, the cars, the curbs, the uh, the furniture in the way. The road furniture is what we refer to it as. And you have to see it and look past it because looking at it directs your thing. And I think this is a. It's a, it's a good thing. It's a good life lesson. Like all of these things. Um, kind of translate as general universal laws. Like you need to identify the obstacles and then look past them in order to actually act appropriately because all that stuff is stifling. All that stuff is other layers that come back and kind of surround you. Um, The other thing that I kind of wanted to expand upon um, just a a little bit is in in the idea of, uh, well, maybe... uh, Mark could actually expect the, the idea of expanding your horizons because we we talk about this a lot is like why do you want to be fit like why, why do you want to use fitness and a lot of people have these like superficial reasons to re- fit for what yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a good quote <laughs> ig instagram come on insta fit right and a lot of people will get you know especially because we don't talk about fitness a lot out here is because that's kind of the buy-in for this stuff. Like, oh, you want to go experience something and you run out of bat, you can't run a mile. Like how the fuck does that work? Like that, how do those things fit? They don't coincide. And the same thing is true of anything else. Like we might be selling something, um, you know, oh, this risk stuff will provide this moment of clarity. And and that's in everything. Like uh, I've experienced it on a bike. I've experienced it using some illicit drugs. All of them contain risk and all of them are terrifying, but, they have this commonality of like a, a moment of clarity. And that moment of clarity is only available if you do the work that surrounds it. 
and whether that's psychological work, whether that's philosophical, whether that's oh, you physiological. Can't, you can't just dabble and get the lessons, <laughs> get, the, get the knowledge? I've tried. It doesn't fucking work. Tourism kills. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, folks, that's the end of our podcast. That is, that's uh, 47 minutes in, and uh, Chris, Chris for the win. Nice. Tourism kills is great. I mean, your quote of it expands the map, right? That's mm-hmm. what fitness does. Mm-hmm. I yeah. think the most powerful thing, the most powerful lesson that I probably have learned in my life is that the most dangerous thing to me is respecting the fence. I have to get outside of it. I because I didn't put it there. The only fence that should contain me is the one that I put in the ground, not the ones that other people tell me should be there. And if you get outside of that boundary and you learn to realize like, why are people telling me that this is all I should be able to do? Why are people, because I get told all the time, why do you do that? You're going to die. I'm like, well, yeah, we're all going to die. I might get there faster. We're fast. all terminal. Yeah, I might <laughs> get there faster. I might get there faster than you. And I'm not telling you to do the things that I do. But, but let me flip that question around. Why the fuck do you do what you do? I was going to say, why do you, you want know? to hang on to a fucking shitty existence? <laughs> well, well, they probably don't realize how shitty it is because they're taught to turn around and walk away from the fence long before they approach it. <laughs> yeah, because that, the that most leads powerful to the... Thing what from, what is, yeah. that, is that a trough? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Seriously, the most powerful thing I think that I've learned is gun. that that fence is the most dangerous thing to me. Hmm. It is... When I, when I live inside of those boundaries, that's when the voices in my head and those internal bullshit stresses, that's when they impact me the most. When I look at it, it's like, fuck you. I'm going to go do that. It, that's when I find that I am the freest. So I mentioned this uh, in the waiting room <laughs> um, about the selfishness part of this mm-hmm. because this gets brought up with thrill-seeking hand in hand. Like, True. oh, yourself, you're just seeking for yourself. It's almost like a drug addict kind of deal. And there, there's this really interesting, this is kind of a side note, but there's this really interesting psychological experiment that they do with people where they say, like, um, they, they measure empathy for people, right? Which is a fucking bullshit um, thing anyway. But they, they'll use a somebody who has a disease uh, because they were genetically afflicted by it, right? Whatever that is. Uh, not their fault. They're not responsible. And the empathy is... 200% more than if somebody was using illicit drugs and got this thing. And the, I bring this up because I think it's the same thing towards people who are doing extreme behavior. Yep. Um, and if they die, well, they deserve it because they were selfish and they didn't think about anybody but themselves. And I, I don't think that's true in the like. I, I deserve it because it was already built in. I mean, as Andy yeah. said, we're all, we're all fucking not, you know, and right. I just got, and if I get to choose. You know, uh, sorry I took my climbing partner with me, but, you know, yeah. he fucking tied in. So, you know, I made a bad decision and uh, and we both, we, yeah, we both burned in. So, and I, and well, I would go beyond like, that and say, um, I, actually, I think this goes one step. Like, I, it might be selflessness if it, you unpack this a little bit more. You are not without family and you are not without heirs and you are mm-hmm. not without people that would grieve you disappearing. But what you are giving them is an example of something. So... Um, this is kind of a weird story, but it, it kind of links in. Um, I sometimes go to a CrossFit gym to do some workouts, and I don't know really all that many people there. But we sat down um, in, in for a class, and this guy goes, "Oh, we're doing this hero wad." And I was like, "Oh fuck, like whatever. It's going to be long and shitty." And he goes, "This left guy. hand thumb in, or, yeah, so like yeah. you know, <laughs> heavy and impossible or whatever." And so, but then he started to say, he's like, I, you know, I don't know really know the rules for describing a hero wad, but this guy, you know, he represents something that I think we should appreciate. He's in our 6 a.m. crew. 
And he got cancer a couple times, and he's fought it. It looks like this time he's not going to win. And so he has been here for the last six months every morning with his little colostomy bag. His, you know, Everything's connected to him, and he'll do what he can to come in and do whatever he does. And uh, it, it raised something um, like – a conversation because yeah it was it was a kind of like man that's a fucked up way to start a goddamn workout <laughs> like uh, you know swinging for the fences on the motivational speaking totally yeah. and i was yeah. like so but it was kind of interesting because it did do me a favor like that story and you know whatever it was a fucking workout but it allowed I'm this conver- empathetic right now right it allowed this conversation yeah. to come it's like what you know what kind of pain are are we are we feeling um because it's nothing in comparison right and so I ended up writing a letter to this guy, Bob, right? And I sent it to him right before he died. And uh, it was kind of like a, an interesting, he had liver cancer. My stepdad died of liver cancer. Um, my stepdad did not handle it well, as in he shut down. There yeah. was no introspection. It was, I'm not changing any of my behavior. I'm just going to like close my eyes and look. I, that tunnel vision, it, it's that thing, right? Like I can't see anything else and it doesn't matter. And he put everybody else in a bad position given that he was – terminal and heading straight to the the dirt and what i appreciated about this bob guys and his experience is that he talked about it frequently his fear of it this death this thing he, he came into classes and people said, hey how are you doing he's like man it's really hard but you know this is happening you know i i, I thought i was going to get better and now it's not so it's just a matter of dealing with it and I, so i wrote him a letter thanking him for this this introspection because this is something that's hidden from us we never talk about death we hide it mm. right like we we cover it the first thing oh don't look at the dead body don't take a picture of it that's morbid or that's weird and that's different than basically two hundred thousand years of human existence before it was kind of celebrated because we all kind of knew you know we got to know how to deal with it now we hide it we get to have a nice party <laughs> and a big fire <laughs> exactly and this is this is where the selflessness comes into play is that you are talking about it and you are very aware of the consequences. And it is not that you can do this because nobody else will suffer if you're gone. In fact, uh, it's quite the opposite of that. It would be catastrophic. I mean, I have very long conversations with myself about that. I use the exact same terms, selfishness. Um, and I kick, I mean, I kick ideas around in my head. I, I want my kids to live their fullest life. I want them to look at the fence and just give it the double bird. And maybe even just get to a point where they're like, the, there is no fence for them. And the only, not the only way, one of the most effective ways I've found to show them that is to live it in myself. Um, but they, I mean, they would be devastated. And I, I, I know that I'm going to die, but I certainly would like to see some more laps around the sun for their sake. But I say I choose to stop. What if it changes because I'm unable for a long period of time to find that release, to find that place? And that impacts my behavior as a father and a husband. Am I doing the right thing by removing the risk? Because right now I'm scared because my buddy died and it's so palpably close to me. So I'll, throw it in the garbage can and have a short-term victory and a long-term failure. You know, there's, mm. I don't, it, it's a difficult mental tennis match that I'm having with myself. But and you can but you wouldn't, you'd be not you. That's what, it, and that's it, what I come did, back I mean, to. Ultimately it's like, look, I, I, this is, and maybe it's not necessarily, um, a, it's not a necessity. Maybe. Mm. 
but maybe it is. Maybe this is okay. This is my SSRI. This is my yep. you know three beers a night. This is my workout in the morning where I just annihilate myself so I don't have to think about other shit. You know, it's it's like I, I think. I mean, I don't. It, I admit that the bubble around me is pretty fucking small and, and necessarily so um, in order for me to, you know, hold my beliefs because I just surround myself by people who think the same way, then it's all <laughs> good, right? Um, but but there, but there are certain things, I mean, and, and I'd have to say that when I quit climbing, I, I would, there was, there was some floundering for a mm-hmm. while and some really shitty behavior because I didn't, I could, I was not, comfortable not having those experiences i was not comfortable not looking into that void or 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 being in it and it you know it it wasn't like oh after a year i was fine after two years i was fine for three years no it's 18 fucking years now and i'm still not fine but i'm okay yeah because there were there were other I, I could find other means of having this experience, but it took a lot of research and a lot of experimentation and that sort of thing to to be able to realize, like, okay, the 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 the, the presence of death, the death, the risk of death on a more or less daily basis when I was climbing full time um, and doing it the way that I did was, you know, um, a great teacher in a way, a great a great guide, and without that. I mean, if you, if that is, you know, it's a pretty powerful fucking guide. And if you don't, and if you're accustomed to that, you grow used to that. And then all of a sudden, you know, on a, on that level, it's, you stop, especially if you voluntarily stop, you don't get volunteered to stop. But if you voluntarily stop, then what now? And, and what now happens in all caps? I mean, all letters, all caps. It's not, um, it, it's not something sort of easy to walk away from, and for for uh, and having worked with a number of guys in you know in the military over the years and seen them, you know, get out and transition or fail to. God damn, you're like a fucking healthy example of someone who is able to <laughs> sort of like. To, to, I mean, to to it's not the same sensations necessarily, but it's still the the guide that was there then is uh, very similar to the guide who is or it who whatever uh around now and and steering and and especially in the the idea of like setting an example for in the in the way that you live for for your children for the people around you for anybody who listens to you speak or sees you you know in action i mean this is a uh it's, it's a fucking super it's a super important and powerful thing and you know thank god there was a fence to reference so that you could go beyond it yeah and I think that I think at the mo- <clears throat> culturally at the moment the th- the biggest battle we have as parents is teaching your kids that mediocrity is the plan, because my parents, school teachers, they were given advice by their parents. You'll always need teachers, and r- honestly, I feel like my dad and <clears throat> you know kind of God rest his soul, but I feel like he gave me like an introduction to the fence, like took me to the fence and like this is the fence your life should be governed according to the fence because it's a great fence and it didn't compute it made no sense but from his you know his upbringing from from again with you know world war ii his dad was in world war ii 
they lived through rations, they lived through scarcity, they lived through, you know, all these problems. So finding a good stable path was primary mandate. And that was the mm. advice that I was given. And so it was a good fence. <clears throat> yeah, for him I mean, it was a good him. Yeah, yeah, totally. But but I think about like I the biggest like you know, you, you say how do you reconcile the selfishness? Am I being selfish? Or do I need to teach my kids to live their, their lives on their own terms? I think you need to teach your kids to live with respect both for others and for themselves. And if they, because if they're, if they're unable to, to fully respect themselves, they'll never reach their full potential, you know? And, and mediocrity being acceptable is a lie. Well, I, I wouldn't even say it. Like, so I think superficially when we're young, you're like, anything's possible, kids. And then later- What do you want to be when you grow up? Yeah, in practice though, it is, like we're preached aggressive mediocrity. What like, do you want to be? You've got door number one, door number two, door number three yeah. is basically what the, the answer to that question. But it should be for most who people. do you want to be rather than what? Uh, uh, no, it should be what do you want to do? Yep. <laughs> to be or to do. I, we just talked about that earlier. <laughs> Oodle loop, anybody? Um, <laughs> the... the uh, <laughs> oh wait can we bring john boyd into the conversation yes go for it like, I, no i just <laughs> oh. well, you just did I, well, I'm sorry. Well, <laughs> it came up earlier today as in one of the most powerful things that you know we were just talking about i don't know, content that kind of creates something that that on this note like why, why it's important to tell your story or to live like how you live is because like given the population <sighs> I'm going to get real pessimistic here. <laughs> no, we just call that real Michael. Okay, yeah, yeah, realistic. Do it, man. I can bring us back. I promise. Okay, so <laughs> when I look at like um, things that are inspired, it's easy to find um, historical or, or writings from the past 10,000 years or whatever that show the plight of humans and how to overcome things. And this seems like, it seems like there's a thread going on here, whether through mythology or through actual historical facts, there, there was story being told. But you got to understand that there's, you know, the population was waning. Like this is, is a, not a big species on the planet for a very long time. And now there's, you know, 8 billion of us almost. And seems almost like too many. But well, and, and so what if given the nature of the mass majority of the population being fucking bleak and void of any kind of meaning, it's more and more important that we have people that are like, threading a story that tells people that there's a different way like that, that that you do not have to be the sum of your neighborhood that your status is not the most important thing and that um you can do certain things and there's no limit to what those things are that can give not only meaning but somebody else a, a, a fissure of what could happen i'd argue with you though status it depends on who you're comparing yourself to right yeah sure so sure. so status is a warrior right mm -hmm. reaches back 10,000 years yes. I mean all those all those things so we as as a tribe of, of warriors would want to compare ourselves to each other that way I think that status is important I think our status comparison to ourselves what could we potentially be the waste of potential or the gaining of potential I, I think that's important yeah and, I, and I'll like um, I'll argue back on your point and say that we are past that point as being a respected status right and, and we've come in and out of this and, and like Historically, things that get um, appreciated as uh, as a status symbol have shifted over time, and this could be, you know, um, there was a spiritual status at one point where 
you know, in fact, 2000 years of piety led to a certain kind of status appreciation. You, man, if you cut off your genitals and you, you know, you just showed reverence for rewriting text, that was the ultimate status because religion and and spirituality was the height or the pinnacle of this. And there's a spaceship behind the comet. (laughs) There's there's a spaceship. (laughs) And and then it changes. And I think our, I think our society sees these. I mean, uh, Joseph Campbell's kind of talked about these in, in a time scale of, you know, uh, when when we could explain things through divine action, that was the highest status. And then there was man-powered things that came out of this. And um, when we could explain things through how government can control and shift populations of people, then the celebration of a democratic gods or, you know, uh, a, a different kind of divine power became celebrated. So in history, we have our highest buildings were appreciated. God is religious. a Democrat. <laughs> de- de- <laughs> you just brought us back. Okay. I, I, I'm just trying <laughs> so, to well, so reel it in. If we look at history, look at the biggest, you know, uh, monoliths to what we're celebrating is going to be uh, religious buildings, cathedrals. And then you look at when this shift happened somewhere around the 1700s and you see state and government buildings and monarchies and, the celebration of man as a god became kind of the first of its kind. And so the highest buildings after that were the Capitol building. They were the governmental functional Related buildings. to commerce or right. something. And now... Uh, or and, that, it, that was the third step. So yeah, the, the third step, in, well, I would say we're in the fourth step. And the, the third step, as Joseph Campbell describes it, is basically um, the idea that we understand the power of monetary value, the, the, the capitalist virtue of like what you can do when a line of credit can extend and a line of credit, not in the in the term of credit card, but in the term of if we bet that humans are better tomorrow than they are today, that is credit. And that's how it works in a monetary uh, system. So therefore, our biggest buildings are raised in financial systems like the tallest building in the city is the wells fargo building the second tallest building was the capitol building the third tallest building is the lds temple and coming on to okay money doesn't really mean that much anymore it really doesn't technology is a new god and we have to figure out how to contend for that that's my wormhole and i digress I don't know if I, I don't bring actually, it candy is that is i don't know good? if i can actually bring it back but I, I, actually i can i'm just kept that that, high, that that was highfalutin shit off right there. Well, that was and, that, uh, that was because his... actually uh, Key Bank is the second tallest. Oh, so sorry. those two. And the only reason the Capitol's Valley is taller is because it's, it's on a hill. It's, it's yeah, because it's on a hill. And that was on the moniker of like, yeah, status matters, given the time period that that you're in. And <clears throat> I think the status now uh, that is fair, uh, you're looking at, you know, do you have a big house? Do you have a nice car? Do you have a good paying job? Are you? It's things, right? It's whoa, stuff. Whoa, 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 it's followers, man. If you're the it Kardashians, yes. Well, <laughs> even 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 at a lower level, they they certainly. Uh, I think you call that, that bought a thing, though, don't you? Like <laughs> at some point, that's an object. Um, I, yeah, uh, objects yeah. of mass distraction. So so let me just. Uh, there, there's something that I've kind of always wanted to ask about. Okay. I feel like we're going to take a left turn here. We're taking a left turn. <laughs> we're we're actually we're we're, we're leaving. That, we're, so we're that's taking, the static side of the plane. If yeah, we're going left. Yeah, yeah. We're okay. we're going on the freefall side of the plane now. Okay. And it's actually, no, we're going out the back. We're going off the the ramp. Okay. So it sort of dates back to a video, and I don't remember where I saw it. It was something that maybe you shared with me, or or, or Steve, or somebody um, that has to do with jumping packages. Yep. <laughs> and bundles, it, bundles, the yep. bundle. There yep. we go. Um, and and it, if I'm not mistaken, you were sort of on the 
sort of forefront of developing this whole idea of for a particular country for uh, okay okay yeah so and i i mean i can't andy will be able to describe it a hell of a lot better but basically it's a dude jumping out of a you know the, the back end of a plane with a, a bundle wing up to 400 pounds or was there a sort of a weight limit on it or not like four to six hundred pounds four to six hundred and actually being able to fly it yep uh, into a fairly precise location to, to land, so that you could you could arrive on the ground uh, to do the job with a with a few more resources available. Let's say. So you're talking about the MTTB system or the Military Tandem Tethered Bundle System. <laughs> and of course, is, there's an acronym because. Of course. <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> it is essentially pushing a refrigerator out of an airplane <laughs> with a Kevlar tether attached to your body that then drags you, you out of the plane with it. You push it out like a shopping cart. And as soon as you go over the bars, you let go. It goes to tether extension, and your pilot, your drogue parachute is out, and you, you're at a glorified automatic activation device. You can't turn the damn thing. You can't move it forward and backwards. You can pull your parachute. That's the only way you can end the rodeo ride. And, yeah, it, it so what it does is it can bridge the gap in, let's say – you're getting ready to do a water jump and people aren't comfortable. Most of the time water jumps are lower to the ground, but you need to bring extra gear. And some of the jumpers, let's say their currency has slipped. You can stuff everyone's gear into a bundle. The tandem master is likely going to be more current. The tandem master goes out with all of the gear. Everybody else goes out slick. It reduces the risk for everybody else. Mm -hmm. For certain countries, um, you know, maybe it's a good idea to land somewhere with mortars or rockets and all that. I mean, that's, as much as I would love to jump out of an airplane with a rocket and a mortar in my hand, they haven't given me the opportunity to do so. I okay. will take it, should they? But stuff these bundles. You have that here for folks. Yeah. Stuff these bundles full of equipment, and you can land with an incredible capability. And once you learn how to fly them, I mean, I could land the thing in a room this size. You could bring that sucker straight down, and you got you're good to go. So as soon as so you're basically it's it's flying you for the 100 percent. you feel it tugging on the tether until you open your parachute and then and which then is you never can violent at all you never uh, bounce your head off the metal and uh, wake I'm, up with a bloody nose I, i'm sure not <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah wake up with a bloody nose flying the wrong direction <laughs> oh it's uh, i mean because all of that weight is just it's like a top spinning it's all just extending and Fuck, you're just what kind of a slider do you have on the fucking they did uh they brought in the G testers for ejection seats and okay. they put them on the risers and the risers are just the fabric that attaches the main parachute to the cutaway. You know, you're, it's a three, three ring metal loop that it basically, it's much like a hall system. Like every time, you know, a loop goes through, it reduces the tension on it. That's really all it is. Yeah. So you can pull the cable and it actually slide out because if there was just one loop, you're, you'd have to pull that entire weight. So it's a friction reduction system. Yeah. So they put a, a, a G measuring, device on both sets of risers and on every opening you exceed the g-shocks of somebody ejecting from an airplane in flight so after a few of those so they, jump, so they did they did some testing so they we, basically said this is not safe and it, you guys it and you broke did it anyway the g meters okay oh, and fuck. so they said well i guess we don't need to do that anymore why yeah <laughs> why i wanted to ask the question it's violent and the slider size i mean i'm sure it varies but it's that sucker's coming open and I would just deploy the parachute and like hold on to my night vision goggles and just pretend nothing, like move my feet out of the way of the tether because people have had their ACLs and MCLs oh. just separated from the tether whipping it. It's um, it's pretty awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
I, it was one of the, like, being exposed to, you know, for whatever the military training that, that I was involved in and being able to see some of these things, it was, like, that was one of the wildest things that I had ever seen. I'm like, so, wait, wait, he, that, that's a, it, oh, and, yeah. it, and it was bigger than a refrigerator, I think. I mean, it was a So I can take ca- this one to the next thought. level, and this okay. likely can be categorized as thrill-seeking. So this is with Steve <laughs> as well. Um, we made a hollow one. And I put a base jumping rig on and got inside of it as he pushed it out the oh. back of an airplane. <laughs> I let go of it. It ripped the door that we had cut out of my hand. Um, so I'm just literally holding on on the inside of this thing. It looked like a space shuttle re- like re-entering the Earth's orbit. It's just spinning. He deploys the parachute. It opens fine. I climb out and just climb up to the top and stand on it and then jumped off at 1,000 feet. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> I that, that best is tandem awesome. jump ever. Yeah, yeah. That is uh, <laughs> so that 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 <clears throat> that is thrill seeking. In your, I boot. mean, we might have had compromised decision making process somewhere along the way. It was a, a hold my beer moment. It was a hold my beer moment while having a beer. Just, <laughs> you know, throwing some ideas against a wart. You know, throw some spaghetti on the wall and see what sticks. But um, was somebody? It was essentially it was it was for a sponsor, uh, yeah, right? right? So we made the can. Look like a particular looked like a beverage can, mm. and uh, yeah, it was one of the scarier things that I've ever done. <laughs> and uh, I'll never do it again. But we did it. But could you put your, you put yourself in that great that great moment where you are out of options if you don't get out the can? We talked it's about what gonna was going to happen. Well. Yeah, what, what if the tether came loose? What if he couldn't control the exit? I mean, I was ba- I was going to get out that door. I had, we got out at thirteen thousand feet. I had some time. Okay. That reminds me of a very good book that we talked about today too, which is "Mistakes Were Made, But Not by Me." <laughs> there was a um, period when I was living in France and worked on a bunch of different action films, and uh, there were some crazy people. Um, Dominic Glez, who we talked about earlier, I think, yeah. who did the snowboard off the West Face of the Eiger, um, and, and his uh, Alpine military guys, and they. they were doing some fairly freaky shit. So there's a couple of things that got filmed were a uh, tandem paraglider guy and then the the the, uh, the passenger bungee jumps off of the other dude's harness below the paraglider. And then and then when the you know the elasticity runs you know he cuts away and yep. free falls and opens his parachute. But the best one was the um, I want to say there's five guys attached to a uh, an aluminum bar and they're on skis. And there's one guy attached to that aluminum bar behind them, and he has two paragliders. And he gets the two par- – they're on the top of Mont Blanc. He gets two paragliders up. They all ski off. And so now there's a guy flying two paragliders with five dudes suspended beneath him. And so they fly out over the valley for a while and do some shit. And then, like, you know, basically on command, all five dudes cut away. Unfortunately, now the guy they, – they cut away and, you know, free fall and open all the parachutes and it's super cool. And then there's a dude up there doesn't weigh enough to fly two fucking paragliders overhead. Yep. And then there ensued some drama and then he finally got out from under it. And, and <laughs> But some of the shit that these they were fucking coming up with was absolutely – well, what, let's try this. You know, we're, we're getting paid by the French government because we're in the military and we're basically in charge of, like, experimental shit. So let's – let's do this stuff and there's this guy who wants to make films of it and then we can you know this is like when you had to have a VHS tape you didn't have a phone so it'd be fucking super cool these days to to, I've been there it gets gets weird in those meetings (laughs) when they give you a big budget and say 
what do you guys want to do? It gets a little weird. Or, or you got to walk it back. Yeah. You got to walk it back. I mean, Bruno Goofy's thing. So the the year of his first Marlboro contract, um, the one of the, the biggest thing he did that year was to uh, essentially base jump out of a helicopter. Uh, since there's no forward speed, that yep. would be would be an accurate description of what that was. It can be very very. It's it's mushy. Out of an airplane, it's it's fast. Helicopters. Yeah. I mean. Sometimes the helicopter pilots are assholes and they'll hover without telling you. That can get sporty. Yeah, yeah. Nobody, but <laughs> but no. This this was a this was hovering because he had to hit a very specific target, which was yeah. the summit of the of the Drew, which is not a big summit at all. And they had put some fixed ropes around, and it was kind of snowy on top, so he could he could if he could get close, and some of the guides who were on top could you know could grab him and you know grab some part of his shit. Anyway, so if he, had, he gets close, <laughs> had 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 a. Um, a, a, a not bad landing on top of the Drew. And then he, you know, got rid of uh, parachute, put his uh, snowboard on his pack, rappelled down to the, the niche, which is this uh, this 50 to 55 degree snowfield on the north face of the Drew. And it's only like four or 500 feet long or whatever. So he rappelled down to that, snowboarded that. And at the base, then he like uh, had enough wind that he could pop up a paraglider and fly down to town. All for a fucking sponsor, which eventually killed him. But uh, you know, that when the camera comes out, yeah, yeah. Crazy, weird shit starts happening. Weird shit starts happening. Yeah, I mean, it, it, the yeah again, and then filming Glez, Dominique Glez, uh, jumping the west face of the Drew, which is not vertical. And so for the longest time, he's basically tracking at the same angle as the wall is. And so his feet never are more than like 10 or 12 feet away from the wall until he can get enough fucking terrifying speed. place to be. I cannot Ugh. fucking imagine. No, thanks. Uh, I, 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 I was in <laughs> my head. I'm just imagining how when I was a little kid, I used to play with G.I. Joe's. And like they would do impossible things. I just imagine that happening yeah. with GI Joes, and I was like, yeah, I don't know how any of that works. Well, yeah. if you're and shaking your head and saying no, <laughs> like that, I don't mind doing one or two things that could be considered dangerous. When you start combining five or six things that have no natural pairing, right. it's some. I mean, like, so the barrel statistics. jump statistics. The barrel jump with Steve and I, like, we talked about that a lot. We worked through emergency procedures, how we were going to communicate, and we both looked at it like. If you're uncomfortable with this at all, if you see any risk that we can't mitigate or at least have something we can do, just say no, and we won't do it. We'll back out. But I had jumped with him so much, and we had so much shared knowledge and experience together that when I climbed in that thing, I'm not going to say I had a low resting heart rate, but I was pretty sure I was going to be okay. Yeah. I mean. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so there's a, there's a documentary called The Free Man. The Free Man. Okay. A Free Man. I would recommend watching it on mushrooms. Don't have to do that, but you will have the sensation that you are a free man because uh, it goes over kind of the flying Frenchies. Have you? Oh yeah. So, and yeah, this is fun. the the acceleration of these ideas. It seems like uh, tightrope walking, you know, becomes something else, becomes something else. Um, it, I don't know. No matter what they do, the ultimate tightrope walk can no longer be done. <laughs> <laughs> Probably not. Because those buildings hit the ground. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, yeah. Not probably, yeah. definitely. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, at all, all time, I, you know. Yeah. Was, yeah. That, was that the same guy? Uh, no. Oh, okay. No, no, the no, guy, no, no, so no. That guy's passed, <laughs> but. Uh, and, no, no, he's, he's uh, Philippe Petit. He's still okay. alive. Oh, okay. Um, but that just, 
yeah, just watch Man on Wire yeah, as a yeah, document. Yeah. I mean, and and then any and then any kind of slackline shit you yeah. see after that, you're just like, yeah. okay, yeah, guys, you're standing on some pretty fucking big ass shoulders. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so there's, uh, I didn't expect this because I thought it was going to be like, look how cool these guys are. Um, but it hit on a point because they had uh, an injured X game skier, trickster guy. Um, he used this tightrope walking to kind of do what you did. He bridged a gap between one experience into the next. Yeah. And so it immediately got into the psychology of what one would experience given enough practice, what you could experience. And that's kind of what reminded me you telling your story and your experience with this stuff. A, a lot of the time they're just mitigating any of the stuff that could go wrong. Like, that's where most of the planning goes is like, okay, what's the worst case scenario and then work back from there. Yep. And then how can we mitigate even the, you know, the wind, the everything is taken to, into account. And so when that was a, kind of one of the first moments that I was like, oh, these people aren't, um, you know, outside of their man trying to, to feel a drug that's internally driven. They are so trapped inside their head that this is the way that they get all their thoughts out. And then, they say it basically like this is how we experience a void like that moment of nothing is you know the wind is blowing everything's quiet kind of how you experience the first five seconds of a fall yeah. um my my well my question to you is basically like how would you go about feeling that another way and i know if you knew the answer but in your head i, I can see you kind of grappling with ideas I, I i think about it often um for the first time since i've been jumping my wife has asked me to stop, specifically base jumping, which is something that uh, happened after Alex's passing, okay. which she knew him well. Mm -hmm. My kids thought he was Uncle Alex. Um, they were there with us on his first trip to Italy. I mean, we were tons of shared experiences that went beyond just he and I. So I am thinking about where else I could find it. Uh, the short answer is, is I'm not really sure. Um, one reason I know I love bow hunting mm. is because of the challenge, the clarity, and the focus. Not to the same degree, mm. but I can flirt with the edge of it. And you get that same feeling. I mean, taking a life, mm. um, four-legged or two-legged, requires commitment. And there's a lot of similarities. Um, the bow hunting and the challenge and the thought that goes into it all of the planning, all of the preparation. I need to get. I need to line all of these ducks up in a row. I can lose myself in that process. And then when you get there, that's the frosting on your cake or the icing on top. Um, for me, it's going to have to be something physical. There, there is something to be said, at least in males, for going out and finding what you're physically capable of. If I change one thing about our society, I think I would start there. Mandatory physical difficulty um so i know for me it will be an activity like that but it's not the it's not the risk i'm looking for it's what the risk provides me mm -hmm. and like i said i don't have a long answer for that but i've i've been able to piece together some things that can allow me to flirt with that and then the reality is i might tell my wife no i'm not going to stop because i might not be the person she wants to be around if i do mm. Fuck. I don't sleep lots. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's tough. I yeah. mean, it it had. I was amazed because my wife has told other people many times I'd rather have him die flying in his wingsuit than 
get hit in traffic, which I would also prefer to die mm. neither in my wingsuit or being hit by traffic. traffic. Mm. But given the choice between the two, fuck yes, that's the way I would rather go. Um, and like I said before, would it destroy my family and kids for, for a short period of time? But then I would hope that what they would remember is how I live my life and use that as the example and not focus on the catastrophic event that took me out of their lives. Is this a conversation that you have with her? Like this confrontation with mortality? Is this like... She's had my own particular mortality probably thrown in her face Mm -hmm. more often than most spouses do. I mean, when I got hurt overseas, I was home 36 hours later. Um, coming down the flight of stairs on an airplane, and she was pregnant with our second son, and our my oldest son was in a stroller. And I had been administered a morphine bolus about the size of this can, so I wasn't in a great mental or emotional state. I was a, a little loopy at the time. Um, and then she had to, I mean, uh, Mark and I met each other very, very similar during the same year. I got hurt in February of 2005. We met in August. And that time period between February and August was probably where I fell short as a human being the the deepest and the longest that I have in my life because um, I couldn't do anything. I was flat on my back. I was drinking too much, playing pill bottle roulette, which occasionally was pretty fun. Sometimes <laughs> you get right up to the edge. God. And you just realize, like, man, if I had just one more and I could go over, but I probably shouldn't. Correct. This is pretty tasty right here. It was O2, not. O2 saturation <laughs> yeah. is pretty low. It was nuts. And she had to she had to tolerate me during that time period. And then my overarching desire and goal, my myopic desire and goal was to go back. And I did. Um, and we had another kid before that. Mm. So it's not a conversation we have often I actually don't know why it's the first time she ever asked me to stop was very recently so I it's not often but I think we will have it more often in the future Mm. that's interesting like I never through my whole climbing career number of wives um, (laughs) (laughs) none ever asked me to stop yeah what do you think you you would have done if they did uh Fired expedited the separation. Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. I need this uh, FedEx overnight. Um, <laughs> <laughs> because uh, you know my entire identity. I mean, it's the only reason that th- reason I was here. Yeah. You know, everybody else. You're like you're, you're a passenger on this thing. I'm sorry. You're like if you're if you're you're involved, you're involved, and these are the terms. And maybe I don't come back next. You know, tomorrow or or you know because and, and then to, to to sort of oh, how do you integrate an actual like. You, you don't get to, there, there's not a, any long-term planning. So there, there is no mortgage. It's rent because that's all I'm paying anyway at this point, point in my life in any part of my life. Um, and, and so everything's just, everything <laughs> says more <laughs> than I think. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <Just> like, <laughs> that's summed up a lot. Yeah. Actually. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> I mean, it's like easy to check out at any time. And so therefore I'm utterly free to do exactly what I want or try what I want in the mountains. Um, and, and with, you know, my first wife, there was, there, there was some expectation of eventually maybe a little bit too soon for my liking to settle down kids, cars, yeah. fence, house, whole thing. Um, and that wasn't totally why that, that ended, but, um, but it was a thing. There was, there was an expectation of a different, li- of, of shaping a, a different life for us together that meant me changing who I am. 
And so, like at that time, and it just wasn't worth it. Every, n no one was worth uh, making those changes for. And, you know, eventually this cha the, the, the change of not doing that kind of thing anymore happened more naturally. Um, you know, I came to the conclusion on my own, which was helpful. It didn't, you know, nobody else had to pay for that decision, just me. Um, but the, the, the idea of, of being in a relationship with, and, and, and you have way more pressure or responsibility, maybe would be a, the, the term that might be more uh, accurate. Um, but you still got to be you. Yeah. Uh, ultimately. And, 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 and it's like, and, and in the spousal sort of situation where, and I had this discussion numerous times over the course of like, no, you knew who I was. I didn't hide fucking anything. You know, I'm headed for the fucking ground. Do you want to, you know, be here? And, and even now, you know, it's a, it's, it's a, it's a, dis it's a discussion in a completely different way because, you know, uh, the age difference between Selena and I means that she will watch me get old and die. That's it. So there was there. That's a t that's a conversation that you, know, you have to have. Yeah. You have to have more than once. And um, to, but but I have to. But I can't. I can, that, it's the age thing. That's oh, I can't change that shit. Just the same way that I couldn't change who I was as a climber, you know, not, you know, not for anybody else, for sure. Eventually it, it changed within me, but I, 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 uh, I don't envy you having those conversations cause they're hard. I mean, and, 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 and you may end up saying like, okay, this is, and it's something that I saw, um, my climbing partner, Scott go through because he has two kids. Um, and there was a certain point where he said, look, the climbing is hard in the high mountains. Okay, that's too much risk. There are too many variables. There is too much here that could go wrong, but there are these sub-disciplines, these components of climbing that I can still do and still feed that rat. Yeah. So I'm not going to the big mountains anymore, but I can do hard sport mixed climbing and still do that thing. I can go, and then it and then it started changing even further, where it was just like I had to stop mountain biking because that I, I'm good enough to try hard shit, and since I can try hard shit, I will. <laughs> and the consequences of not being able to do the hard shit that I'm going to try, yeah. yeah, it's a bit more extreme than I'm willing. You know, it's like okay, I'm climbing on overhanging ice and mixed terrain. I fall off. I just hit the end of the rope. It's no big deal. I get a smart belay or barely even fucking feel it. Man, you go down at speed on a mountain bike in the forest. You're, you know, and you know, surrounded by trees that are, you know, destroyers, not benders. You know, you're fucked. So he's just yeah. like, okay, I don't do that anymore. Mm. I'll ride my road bike. Ah, fuck, I don't even do that anymore. I ride a gravel bike because then I can go on the dirt roads in Minnesota where there's way less traffic. <laughs> and so starting to sort of ameliorate the risk in, that he would voluntarily accept in his life because of his kids, because of his wife be, yeah. and, and, and his family was, uh, I mean, for me, I was like, fuck, he's like the most mature individual I know. And I am so far fucking from that that I just can only admire him. Y'all want to talk about CrossFit? <laughs> if you want to. No, I don't. That was, that was, that was facetious as, as can be. They're tough conversations, man. I don't know the answer. I think my life will look something like that, where I, I know for myself I'll never stop 
seeking seeking like Doing we were talking yeah. you know the other day i it may take different shapes and forms but the journey the journey will only end for me in that route when i come to an end whatever that route may be and my luck i'll slip on a fucking banana peel and crack my head open i mean and people are like oh man he shouldn't have done that I'm like what about the other shit <laughs> <laughs> there was, I think we've mentioned it a couple times there's um god damn it uh, anthony bourdain uh he interviewed Izzy. Who did he interview? Oh, Iggy Pop. Iggy Pop. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, and, and they're basically talking about like he's an older dude taking care of himself, and he was on the fast track of like I'm gonna go out hot and short, and that's how I've planned my life. And he was, he said something to effect of like, now you know, obviously post um, suicide is a little bit different. Um, but he talked about, you know, he's, Bob hit. Yeah. He talked about, you know, going out riding the saddle as opposed to, you know, I want to be finished eating the best sushi in Japan and get hit by a mob. Like go out in this thing that feels like punctuation. And yes, I hit the table on purpose. Yeah, I got um, it. I got it. That one. The, <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. Like uh, my name with a period at the end yeah. kind of deal as opposed to, you know, walking outside and getting hit by an ice cream truck and rolling and tumbling to a ridiculous fucking sound that everybody is just mortified <laughs> by the scene. <laughs> like fucking clown music. And just like, don't, like <laughs> there is something to that, that, you know, that, that in a pool of melting orange <laughs> creamsicles. I mean, that would just be <laughs> fucked. <laughs> And, you know, given his circumstances of how he went, like, you got to say it was in the saddle. Like, you can't say he denied himself how he wanted to go. Yeah. And I think there's very few people that plan that. There's very few people that even think about it well until they're facing it. And I, that's one of the realizations of, like, being around people that do, being around people that risk intelligently and think about this stuff, that those are teachers, like they're experienced teachers, not not the people themselves, but the experiences are, are handed down. This idea of uh, mortality being like shown to you on a plate and like accepting it. You can do whatever you want now, like, because you know it's gonna happen. You just have to, it has to always kind of be in the background, this thought. Uh, I think the, the Stokes called uh, momentum mori, like, when you see time, you should see a skull because clock's ticking. That's going to happen. Now, how do you how do you do everything else? How do you backtrack from that? Yeah, um, that, that's super valuable. And remember, there's a difference between risk and gambling. Mm-hmm. I'm more than comfortable accepting risk. Mm-hmm. I never gamble. Nice people who gamble die. Yeah, not that I'm not going to. Right, but they're going to die a hell of a lot faster than I will. Yeah, you need to stack all the, uh, I mean, this is one of the things that for me that, that, that I realized when I started training uh, military guys is like, yeah, I thought climbing was the coolest thing in the world, but the whole the whole point of doing these big hard things in the mountains is to stack the deck in your favor. Like you plan for everything that can be, you control what can be controlled. Yep. And you, you, you plan and you wait for the ideal conditions. And that is not available in the organizations that I was working with. And I just, and I realized like, wow, we got away with some really cool shit because we had time, 
because we can and, and because you know to, 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 to time to prepare time to assimilate you know to, time to go out and seek more knowledge or experience because oh yeah we want to do this thing but we're not capable right now and we don't have the right personnel to sort of uh, address this or whatever so we have like time it's totally voluntary it's fucking recreation so um and you take look at the military context and you go well sometimes there is no time you're like hi here's a problem solve it yep uh, 31 hours even in that though we spend 90 percent of that looking at risk risk assessment risk mitigation and i the most dangerous objectives i've ever been on there was never a point in the brief, even as abbreviated as it might have been, where they said, "Well, I hope this doesn't happen." <laughs> it, there was no, there was, there was nothing left to, "Hey, we're just going to roll up to the door and uh, you know roll the dice." Like it was all, it was broken down, and what we we spend vast majority of our time focusing on contingencies. That's mm-hmm. most of what military planning. is. If this happens, we're going to do this. If that happens, to remove the essence of gambling, so you. It, mission planning is fucking mind-numbing, but it's an exercise in mental judo mm-hmm. to make sure that you're paying attention to what you should pay attention to and that mm-hmm. you are assessing, mitigating, and basically at the end of the day saying this is the risk that's left over. Mm-hmm. Is it worth it? And if it's worth it, see you later. But nowhere in that is gambling. You're not playing craps. You're playing chess. Hmm. You drew a really interesting thing the first time we talked about complicated simple complexity and chaos right and do you want to explain that a little bit because it came (laughs) to mind because i think what you're describing is we're trying to stay away from chaos and we're trying to get as closely to simple and however complex or however but but at the same time voluntarily going into chaos yes yes removing the variables sure so uh i'll do a lame job of this but uh i I can so so what what you're referring to is is uh snowden's canavan uh model so it's a quadrant right so he's a he's a very wise guy uh not that kind of wise guy um and uh a very very smart guy who uh brought in by harvard and then and and talks about how do you how do you navigate complexity because you can't solve complexity there is no solution because to to have a solution implies that you can disaggregate the systems so complex systems as opposed to complicated systems so we can talk about simple systems they're very linear right so a equals b or a causes b and we can demonstrate that pretty effectively complicated systems are a derivative of that so um, if you think about it in terms of uh, something that's familiar to you if you take apart your watch you can reassemble the watch because all the parts if you lay them out on the table somebody built it to begin with right so you can reassemble it in reverse order from the way you took it apart so while it appears very difficult and you might not even be able to see all the gears with the naked eye it is a system that does with has a known input a known output you know what you're going to get it may not be linear it may not a causes b um, but it is something you can disaggregate into smaller systems into smaller systems into smaller systems and that's really um it's very newtonian physics right so it's it's very yes i can i there's calculus but there is a known answer i can find it on the other end uh chaos is a may equal z it may equal d it may equal something else we have no idea and there's no obvious causative or or result out of that it's actually fairly small uh piece of where we are now there are as we know through theoretic math right there are predictive things there but we try and kind of stay out of that the best thing you can do is sort of surf 
uh, surf chaos, um, which is another hashtag surf chaos. It's um, uh, a good one. Can might, you it tell, might be a URL. <laughs> can you tell why we get along? Yeah, uh, yeah. I'm just I'm like, all right. I think I got the relationships around the table right now. That's uh, Chris and Michael, uh, or Andy and Mark. <laughs> Ross, you can facilitate. <laughs> Apparently, that's what I'm known for. So, <laughs> so. Um, the last one is is complex, right? So the idea of a, of a complex system is that you can't pull it apart, right? So be, just because you can dissect a frog and you can name all the parts doesn't mean you can build a frog and make it hop. Well, and you couldn't put the one you dissected back together. Well, that's right, uh, right? So all, all the magic is out of it. Yeah. Right. So, so the best the best thing you can do is have have some idea of where it might hop next or what what might you might get out of that. So. Um, one of the really interesting things we do sort of in the military is uh, a lot of times, so planning is, as you pointed out, super linear, right? Like we try and disaggregate everything down to this guy's going to turn left and then I'm going to turn right and I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. Um, the reality is, is that uh, a lot of times now what we're trying to do is sort of come back and go, okay, is that even the right problem with the right tool at the right place, right? Like the really, really, really high-end strategic thinkers are going, all right, I'm aligning all these various things that are at my disposal with my guys. And the military might not even be the right answer. Maybe the right answer is, you know, to economically overwhelm them or, or some other way change their their mind or just change the space that I'm trying to, trying to do, do that with. Um, but I think one of the things that Andy brings up uh, it, very, very effectively is um, most people don't have a plan. At which means they have no point from which to depart, right? So they have not considered the possible alternatives. They have not stretched that tension in their mind of if this, right, there's got to be an anti this. Yeah. Right. So they might see where they want to go, but they have no idea where they're at. Not only do they not, not know where they're at, they don't. They can't see the huge valley that's in between them sure. and that mountain. So their their ability to, to do the the terrain association or any of that other kind of crap is zero. So I would so, argue most people don't know where they want to go. Right. Okay. Yeah. But, yeah. but most, why is right. the, the well? There's that. <laughs> <laughs> Shit! I just took the wind out of my comment. Well, I was going to say <laughs> the reason I wanted to bring that up is because a lot of people might be. Uh, titillized by hearing like the feelings that you're talking about like this titillized. sense titillated titillated titillized yeah, yeah. titillated right. rubbing titties there's titties <laughs> there's titties involved I'm, yeah. right I'm in now. I'm in yeah, yeah. five dollar they it's might six dollars tonight it's uh, 5.99 Saturday. okay plus tax same thing 6.85 percent so the no no it's less for food all right <laughs> so people would hear this like oh man I want to feel that sensation this happens frequently like yes. if I describe a bike race or even something a little bit more mundane than what you're talking about um they want to feel it. they want to like how can i get to that point and what i wanted to bring that up that totally boring uh complex system because not that's boring to most people because they're thinking about things in emotional qualities as opposed to intellectual qualities and i want to kind of merge the two because i think it's important to go there is a way to get to where you're at and it is an intellectual way to get to it not just i want to feel this thing and it's it's subdivided into, into these you know, small accomplishments and processes that equal this thing. Mm -hmm. So I actually want to jump on that. And I, and I have a question for Andy. So when in, in base jumping, one of the things that I've always been 
told and about it is the discipline of staying against uh, away from the wall, right? Because you don't want to bang into what you're jumping off of. Generally not advisable. I, I've, heard, I've heard that's ouchy. Yeah. Uh, the technical term is ouchy. Yeah. Yeah, right. Um, wait, wait. Never mind. Oh, so going. how, so there's that discipline, yeah. right? Which is holding the, the body position for a certain period of time until you transition. And you talked a lot about you know luck experience so when you're when you're first starting that i mean some of the guys i i had known who started started in balloons because if they do screw it up yep now you're you're free of the basket and if you do backslide or whatever it's not traumatic right how do you get yourself into that space early on where you're you have the discipline to hold it for that five seconds or whatever it happens to be when you're clear and free of that that object does that make uh it does and there's wingsuit like there's a progress you're basically talking about the progression balloons are a great example uh even for wingsuits in base jumping the exit is a little bit artificial because when you push against the balloon it actually moves away from you so you get a pretty mm-hmm. sloppy start but it simulates the dead air and it, you understand that for the first three to five seconds you're in fucksville because there's no wind to power the suit and so the bo- tr- it's tracking, right? Is that the? I mean, so that would okay. be without a suit, right? Okay. But the body positions are relatively similar. You okay. know, you basically want to pitch yourself at an angle. You need to be rigid and driving the wind mm. towards your feet. I mean, that's simple stuff. Mm. You know, thinking thinking of the human body as a wing. Um, so my first jump uh, off of a static. It's not considered a base jump because it's not static, but it was out of a hot air balloon. I did a couple of those. And then the first time I took it off a cliff, we went to Monte Brento, which is incredibly overhung. So it gave me the opportunity that I had between I'm trying to think of what impact would just step. And that was cognitive, it. right? You were like, okay, I want that because I intentionally picked that specific object yeah. for the fact Fuck, that the- I did a Via Ferrata route up that motherfucker in the winter once. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. Yeah, so Monte Brento was, and it's yeah. and it's traditional for people to go there for their first cliff jump because okay. it's overhung mm-hmm. even and i've seen people go off and the last thing i see is their face looking back up at me like oh no and i'm doing <laughs> the same thing oh no, no as i'm pointing but they have time to shake it out and right. that's why they go there you can uh. you can accelerate enough that your body's gonna start the the air will manipulate against your body and then you know when you first start jumping a wingsuit it's jump off a cliff get the suit flying, get as far away from the wall as you can. Mm-hmm. Then, and that actually was uh, like Rigby. You know, we were talking about him. That was the discipline back in the day when Rigby yeah. was doing it. Let's just survive this jump. And it was actually, let's go for max distance. And it eventually over time became, well, the visuals are better if I stay closer to the wall. But they start with jump, get the suit flying mm-hmm. in an environment that if you don't get it flying efficiently, you have time to correct for, get away. Then we transitioned to the Lauterbrunnen Valley. And the first jump I did there was off the Yellow Ocean, which I think is 1,100 feet. Mm. Sheer, no longer overhung. So in a wingsuit, there's no real chance of backsliding if you basically scorpion, go off and you dive. Most of the time it happens if you, it, it's counterintuitive. People are afraid of diving out. Mm-hmm. Because it's scary to dive out head first. <laughs> so what they want to do is they end up, they they... They half-ass it. They push up. But oh, like yeah, I yeah. said, you are you have no airspeed. So what ends up happening is the momentum from your chest drives you well past that optimal So they jump position. like this, and you should jump like you die. I push okay. straight out. I pick an object that is directly in front of me, 
and I think of driving the top of my head at it as hard as I possibly can, okay. which doesn't keep me in this position. I'm aiming for this okay. at about three seconds because then when my suit powers up, it's straight into this transition. Gotcha. And it's the fastest, most efficient start I can have. If you go off head high, you got nothing but most people are top heavy. They're catching wind. So yeah. it whips down and they end up scorpioning and their feet, you see their feet coming over the top <laughs> of their head. Now, if you stay in that position, you're going to go for a you know back. A fly on a windshield ride right. right back into the rock, and you're going to do the Titanic on the way down, right? Just tap, tap, tap. Um, it's actually better to dive <laughs> head low than it is to right. go head high, but you need but to But there's a lot of shit in your mind There's a lot of shit in your mind, otherwise. which is why you start, at Mont- you start, you go backwards. You go Monte Brento. Yeah, yeah. I know people who have gone to the Valley, and they've had a few bad exits. So what do they do? They get in a rental car, and they go back to Monte Brento. Because hmm. you can always revert. You know, the jump is optional. The performance is mandatory. And if you're having bad indicators, reverse it. And then you start doing jumps that have mandatory performance where, uh, like one of my favorite jumps in uh, the Lauderbrun Valley, what was the uh, kind of, what's the name of the bus stop we were talking, or the trolley stop we were talking about? Oh, in Kleinescheidegg? Kleinescheidegg, right? Um, so we'd start yeah. the train ride in Vengen. We'd go up to Kleinescheidegg. We'd walk down. It's the High La Moose, which is Spanish for the High Moose. I think. <laughs> could, could. Yeah, we might have to look that one up. Yeah, but, pretty uh, sure it's French I, for I, the moss. Yeah. But <laughs> why? Because the low moose yeah. is got moss all over the exit point, and a guy yeah. one time slipped and fell off oh. the moss. Yeah. So the high moose has a mandatory performance start. When I'm standing on the edge of that jump, I can look down and I can see where I'm going to impact, and it's about 400 feet below me. And then the terrain, mostly what you're seeing is the top of the trees. It's very steep. It's steeper than a one-to-one. And when I say mandatory performance, you have to get your suit flying quick, quickly. Yeah, yeah. And you need to be able to maintain uh, probably not even a one-to-one. But eventually, you can get out over the top of that, and then you're over the valley. To get to that point, it took a long time. you know. And we would jump all these other exit points. Uh, there's a Via Ferrata jump actually in uh, – in Lauterbrunnen, it's ridiculous. There's a deck like this size bolted to the side of a mountain. It was like you're having a barbecue at your buddy's house, but there's just a little bit of non-skid tape on there, which is nice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then you can look across the valley, and there's all these different options. It's like playing mm. golf. There's par threes and there's par fives, and there's some water obstacles. You know, there's jumps that have really short starts, very technical, mandatory performance, and people die on them every year. Mm-hmm. Some of it's they slip which they should have done a better job looking at their footing before they go. They should have looked at the weather. They shouldn't go out there when it's hovering right at the freezing point. Mm. You know, um, some people have a little bit of luck. Sticky rubber on your shoes. That we have, yeah, we have incredibly <laughs> sticky rubber on our shoes. I know people who have drilled basically small crampon points at the, at the toe of their wingsuits. So they can... That's a level of commitment I'm not comfortable with because if the weather's that shitty... I'm going to go have a beer. Yeah. <laughs> but people will accelerate and they'll be like, hey, I had a gr- some couple great experiences and they'll go get themselves standing up in an exit point mm. and they don't have the experience to get their suit started. What they had was a little bit too much luck. Luck. Yeah. A little bit too little experience. Correct. Yeah, yeah. which which gets uh, conflated with capability. Like, oh, I did yes, so well on often. this, that, and the other. So the buy-in is, oh, I need another level to challenge me. Fucking sometimes the worst thing you can do is succeed. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> or jump with your Sorry. mentor is one of the most dangerous things you can do in base jumping because that mm-hmm. ability level, like the guy who taught me how to base jump has more base jumps than anybody else on earth. And he, we, were, we would talk about it. He's like, listen, dude, if you're not feeling comfortable, you need to tell me. 
because I could watch the things that he could do and it'd be very easy for me to tell myself, you know what? I can do it too because he's here. Like we talked about two dudes climbing together. It's like, uh, uh, it'll probably be okay because there's two of us here, right? Yeah, it can't be that crazy because yeah. one of us would back down. Yeah, yeah. But one <laughs> of us in that experience had a cup that was overfilling <clears throat> or overflowing with experience and knowledge. Mm-hmm. Mine was like had a little bit of luck. So so mm-hmm. what is it that uh, – what is so fucking hard about the unsentimental self-assessment? Humility. Mm-hmm. Ego. God damn it. Element number 26, is that? Yeah. Is that humility or what are we talking about here? The human element. <laughs> the human element. I mean, full of right. hubris and humility. I, I, yeah. Okay. I mean, I, I it's not arguing with that answer. Especially in a group setting, like maybe you're over there on a trip, you know, and you don't yeah. want to be the guy who gets yeah. to the exit point. You all hike for three hours and you're like, listen, um, I kind of want to hike down. And instead you get pulled along with the gravity of the group. It's but for sure. But that's, but that's, um, so the, the, the unsentimental self-assessment, I mean, that right there is like, yeah, you, there's the gravity of the group, and for sure there's cam- there's a group of people, yeah. there's like 27 GoPros, so you're fucked. Yeah. You're going. Um, but I'm talking about the, the unsentimental self-assessment part of like, am I, and maybe, you know, what triggered it is like standing there with the mentor and, and thinking, and, and seeing something which is so almost casual based on the overflowing cup yeah. of experience, and therefore thinking it's not difficult. That's that's one thing, but I but I think the the self assessment that I'm looking for, um, or that, that where I see people, you know, stall on this whole thing is the is the is the the look in the mirror that happens on the ground, like what am I actually capable of? Here I'm trying to plan all this shit, and I I need to con- you know I've got this objective, and and it goes back to what Michael said about like they don't know where they're starting from, so therefore they can't know where they could potentially get to like they can't know if where they want to go is unrealistic like i'm sorry there's the atlantic fucking ocean in between you and that yeah. you know or 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 the equivalent um so you really have to know where you are and you andy said at one point like people don't really know where they want to go yeah. and i would say well i I'd back that up even further um and, and to go like they don't they're they don't know who they are therefore they don't know where they can go that's why they don't know where they, 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 they want to go, but they're unwilling to look at themselves and to use the mirror for the, you know, the, 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 the dissection sort of tool, the scalpel that it actually can be. But why is it so hard to look at our, I mean, for us, all of us in this room every fucking day to look at ourselves in the mirror and truly see it hurts. I, well, I've, I've been, um, shocked, um, at how many conversations we have in that other room asking like are we crazy like is this a, like <laughs> like are we doing I, something yes. are we I, all not, crazy together <laughs> are I'm we doing shocked by those conversations <laughs> i agree that we have them and well, there are no, many but <laughs> uh, maybe i'm shocked because i think oh, well because the perception is probably different because after that uh self-assessment of whether i'm a fucking idiot or maybe i'm onto something gets fished out then the voice that goes behind that is of certainty of like okay i asked the people that i trust whether my intuition was correct and they have at least they haven't confirmed that I'm not an idiot. So I just go off their judgment, but they've at least showed that I'm not an idiot. Like, yeah, good questioning. I don't think this, okay, now I can go because my idea is my idea. And I, I don't think a lot of people have that environment because it's not me. Like I'm not the one that's like, fuck yeah, I'm this, I'm that. I'm, I'm, I've, perfectly taken myself down to the stem and this is what my constituent or my my components are made out of 
um, it's because I have snuck into rooms with people who are better at it than I am and I can learn and then get better at it and hone that and then they can reinforce and hopefully if I get a little bit better I can help them a little bit until I can bring somebody in and help them even more and now we have an environment that's actually working because we're not based off of this like look how fucking cool we are high fives to everybody Um, but other I guess somebody might rap differently Um, (laughs) (laughs) but in my experience this is a very like um, self-reflective experience. Whether we're writing an article or taking a picture, it's it's always questioning like what this thing is, or signing up for a race that we've never done. Or it's experiential, and it is all based on self-reflection. And it brings me back to um, we try to attain some knowledge, and then we try to get some experiences because that points directly back at ourself. And now now we're left with ourselves. And this this term has been ignored, but also mentioned three or four times of about a dark passenger. I don't know if you guys pick up on that, but that that keeps getting picked up on. Uh, you said it once, um, and I, I think that's that's because <laughs> okay, that's because I, I think we I, don't. I'm, I'm, I'm now I'm searching in my own head for the con- for for that particular conversation. But um, go go go. So, go. so the this dark passion, <laughs> this uh, this idea when we say self, we're trying to like it's the illusion of self too. Oh, like that there motherfucker is, on my back. Yeah, there oh, is yeah, nothing there, and there like that person <laughs> is sitting there telling us that we are us, which doesn't exist. And what I think these moments for me are that thing disappears for a second or two, and you're like, I'm left with this. Sounds I'm guessing when you bend the knees and fold forward. That dark passenger goes the opposite direction. <laughs> he wants no piece of that. He wants no piece of that. It's like, wait, you didn't give me the thing that you have. <laughs> like, <laughs> I won't survive if I go off. <laughs> and, and that is, that's the void, because the void refers to empty, which is solipsism, which is nihilism. All these, we have so many terms. <laughs> quit with your 50, quit with your $50 words. So, We're well, about okay. jumping off cliffs, empty, man. nothing. <laughs> there is nothing. There's a black, yeah. there, there, because that moment, that feels real. Like, there's nothing here. And that sound, everybody takes this to be like a negative perspective or a negative feeling, but it's not. It is the most positive one you can because it is. I like the idea of like jumping or going into this place where the dark passenger doesn't get to come with us. Like you, you forcibly separate yourself from (laughs) self. I I, I used this the other day and I'll use it here because I got, I, they didn't understand what I was talking about, but I said, man, we're really getting Zen as fuck. And then I changed it and I said, we're really getting Zen as is. And nobody laughed. And I- <laughs> <laughs> See, you, you've gone like really deep on it. I'm I'll, to go to a more superficial level. I think it's peer group. I think it's easy to stand a little taller when everybody's trying to do the same thing and be like, we, can, we got this, we can do this. But until you've, it's or you a, should wait because you can't do it yet. If you've never leapt, <laughs> you you will always lack the self-knowledge. But if I read a book on it, I've watched a YouTube tutorial, or I've got some really shitty peer group that's kind of bro backslapping, I think that's the hard, I think that's the biggest limiter that people are oblivious to. Mm. You know, because there's so much posturing through social media and the illusion of being there, done that, got the thing, I can buy the t-shirt, therefore I am. It, you know, it, it it's it's hard, and and how do you explain that? You know, you just have to jump, but like jump at your own level. 
you know, just make the jump once because once you've made the jump once, you will know what, where you are inadequate. <laughs> you, you, yeah, you, you'll know what it's like to yeah, take because, over the edge. And yeah, and because when you when you go off that tiny jump and you shit yourself and you're left shaking, not stirred, you know. <laughs> I, ha- I was going to save this for conversation, another co- next conversation we had with Kristen because um, <laughs> there, there was a... a <laughs> An experience I had with her that, uh, like, it's so fucking embarrassing to talk about that I have to do so right now. (laughs) (laughs) So we were seeing each other, and uh, I'd come from... How much? Pardon? (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, so I'd I'd come uh, to Utah to see her, and uh, having, you know, coming from France, whatever, it was not an insignificant investments because yeah. you know we were into each other but um she was saying i got to do this tv thing up in park city i got to go bungee jump out of a hot air balloon you should come with me I'm like no that's fucking stupid <laughs> which is my way of saying no i'm totally fucking terrified <laughs> so we go and it's and and they 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 you know float this hot air balloon above a fucking parking lot at the park city ski resort Right, so there's parked cars down there, and then it goes up a certain height, and it's tethered with cables, so it ain't going anywhere. Nope. And they've got the bungee thing, and you know, you, there's the basket, and then there's like the little platform on the outside, and they attach the bungee thing. And she, you know, she jumps. She she already is at a point where she's like going off, you know, fifty to hundred foot cliffs, and sometimes hucking a front or backflip or whatever off of them. So she's totally cool jumping out of a fucking hot air balloon. I spent my entire fucking life trying to hang on harder. <laughs> so I am not cool with this whole idea yet. I'm with the chick that I'm into, Hot chick. and I can't I, that that I I don't want to you know like don't bet. I don't I don't want to have two inches cut off the tip. So, uh, so so she goes and she does much flips on the you know bounces and you know does the and then they they lower it so that she can like get on the ground and unhook and then they like float it back up and I'm up there and they hook me up and. Then I then I get out of the basket, you know, clinging to like facing in to the basket, like I will not fucking let go of the basket. They're like, you got to turn around and face out. Like, God, are you fucking kid, really? I got to. You're like, this is not what I do. And then I don't face out and I don't go the basket. I, I for seriously, never face out, Clive. Like that whole Jesus move that Tom Cruise did in the first Mission Impossible or whatever it was. Yeah, that's not a thing. Um, so. But she's down there on the ground looking up, and I see her, and then and and uh, and so I turn on her face out. And now I've got my hands behind me, clinging to the edge of the fucking basket. Nice going, Tom Cruise. And, yeah, <laughs> so Never now I am, I'm, I'm in the, 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 the that position, and I'm just thinking. And the guy's like five, four, and he's like at three, and I turn around to try and get back in the basket, and the motherfucker pushes me, <laughs> <laughs> and then I don't. Honestly, I'd have to ask her and see if her memory is accurate. I don't remember shrieking, but I may have. <laughs> Most people do. Yeah. Uh-huh. And then, you know, like, since I went out in an uncontrolled manner, I was, you know, the bungee cord, you know, I got flipped around and like all this shit. And, and then eventually came down, I got down on the ground. I'm like, oh, fucking thank God that's over. And then, you know, it's for TV. So the guy obviously missed or he wanted a different angle, so we had to go up and do it again. It was not really any different <laughs> the second time, <laughs> except that she stayed in the basket while I went out first, and oh. that was even worse. Nice. So, so there's a documentary on Netflix uh, where I, I'm, 
I'm not even going to attempt to remember which island it is on, but relatively untouched by humanity and civilization. Mm-hmm. And they have a manhood test that they do annually where they build a scaffolding out of bamboo and they take vines and then they tie them around their genitals. I've seen this documentary. <laughs> and these kids, you I mean, they're probably... So if you don't jump and hit the ground, you're... No, no, it's like soft, dug up earth. So okay. be, these guys... Which is way better off scaffolding. Oh, oh, for 100%. sure. 100%. 100%. So much better than hitting a fucking Kia, yeah. like in a parking lot. <laughs> and I just think, the, what's worse than bungee jumping? That. Yep. Tying, you're naked, you've just tied some vines around... And it's like, it looks more like a, you know, like the Chinese finger trap yeah. type, type <laughs> things. And these guys, and these old, but these older guys are like doing somersaults off and they're like, woohoo. And you just think. And so they the land in the, in the loam or whatever it is. Yeah. And it's totally cool. But every now you, and have then. Have you seen Old School? You ever seen that yeah, yeah. movie Old School? Where yeah. I was going to say it sounds like it a straight yeah. alpha, beta, chi or whatever. Well, I mean, so when, you, when you're thinking about what's worse than bungee jumping out of a hot air balloon. I think that might be. Well, if I'd had that experience in my mind at the time, I might have been far more willing. It's to probably do. on. It's still could, on Netflix, so they, I'm sure they you couldn't could. even attach the vine. I had turtled long before. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Right, we'll, we'll shove it in. We'll shove it in. Come Ke- and find Kegel me, muscles. asshole. <laughs> Kegel muscles. So good. Okay. Terrifying. Jesus. That's a manhood test and a half. Uh, uh, well, because you will have none left. Because you'll, be you'll only have you'll have less than half if you don't pass or whatever. I don't know what. Well, like, w- so how do you not pass? You just you're basically just diving at the fucking ground. Why don't, don't you jump? Just, would probably be the only way. Don't jump okay, or tie up your legs. <laughs> Let your legs but, get tangled. Oh yeah. Did you pass? Are you that much of a man? <laughs> if, but like I don't. I don't know. I, I can't argue. You know, it's obviously a cultural thing. I can't really argue the theory, but I think we should appropriate it. <laughs> <laughs> this is a pretty tall building. You're right. <laughs> and we did. We did. We were thinking about a sand pit for horseshoes and stuff. So, <laughs> yeah, so perfect. Horseshoes. Sure. Well, Michael, if you would like to be the first person, you know, lead by example. I'm going to understand that I can only do the small. I'm going to lead from the middle. I think <laughs> they call it. <laughs> Andy likes to jump off stuff. Maybe he could be a... <laughs> I'm going to hard pass on that particular <laughs> one. You're like, babe, babe, I'm totally done yeah. with the flying suit. But I no but here's longer this new, have genitals. But here's this new thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's awesome. Jesus Christ. You really, really, in the 0.7 seconds that you're in the air, you really learn a lot about yourself. <laughs> <laughs> More than you wanted to know, actually, I think is how that goes. Fuck. Now that we're talking about jumping off attached to our genitals, have we reached the end of the discussion? Oh, I don't, I don't, I, you know, I don't think so. Because okay. there's some, some, like, if I go back to the sort of the time domain thing, mm-hmm. where climbing was slow and allowed me a lot more time to think when I always, you know, sort of thought base jumping was too short, certainly for my brain. Um, but the wingsuit actually gives you, even extends that period further. Mm-hmm. So you actually get to spend a lot more time um, with yourself in the air doing something that which you are not designed to do truly yes um, <laughs> and, and you're and, not a unique snowflake oh really watch me now watch me now yeah i'm a fucking yeah i'm a how forward speed links it 120 Oh, See, that's coming. a fast-moving fucking snowflake that is a fast <laughs> moving snowflake. the the video from the notch peak trip was it a year ago basically yeah 
fuck. <laughs> that that is more than yeah. that is faster than most people have ever driven their automobile. I feel sorry for those people. Me too. But yeah, it's pussies. you're <laughs> yeah. You know what though? No, they just don't have access to the right terrain. In moments, it feels really slow. Yeah. It's. I mean, it's very variable. You can feel the speed. You're aiming for that speed because speed is energy. Energy is is p- lift. Potential yeah. distance away from an object. Yeah. The worst feeling you can have is like your suit is just super sloppy because you're slow. But I mean, yeah, you're hauling the mail, so you have more time in the air. But it's at a velocity that is tough to digest. Okay. So and when you did the does that speed record still stand or the the distance, the distance record? record? I have no stand. idea. Okay doesn't anyway whatever it was 18 miles of yep. horizontal displacement or whatever yep um but that was so far from the earth yeah that you probably didn't have like the sensation of it right i didn't think that i was means? moving for a bit and, and i think i peaked out at 195 forward speed on that Whoa. one <laughs> fuck yeah yeah you're almost in the 200 club almost i could have been if i just pitched no it over but i wouldn't have, i mean but you then know. you wouldn't have made the distance correct yeah so how high did you have to jump from? 36,500 feet. Oh. Oxygen? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, all Anything over yeah. 16. Additional yeah. weight? Uh, no, it's just one tube. It was attached to my left leg. But down, I had a... Inside of my suit, it was attached to... There's a ring on your main lift web. They just put a carabiner in that and ran it down uh, the inside of my leg. And that gave you basically... And the catheter sort of like, went down the other side. Yes, and yeah. like, <laughs> all around the diaper <laughs> as well. And it just, yeah. and it froze. Inside the airplane, there was a huge aviator's oxygen tank, and I was yeah. hooked into that. The oxygen tech, right before the door comes open, he switches you over, and you got about 8 to 10 minutes. 8 worth. to 10, okay. Yep. Yeah. That's, wow. And how long were you actually flying for? Just over 8 minutes. <sighs> yeah, that's pretty fucking awesome. It was negative 50 on exit. Yeah. I had on shorts and a t-shirt. Oh, feeling it? No. Yes. <laughs> in my, in my hands. Here's how smart Feeling I am. nothing. Here's how smart I am. I do these things often, unfortunately. Um, on the way up to altitude, I had hand warmers that I was going to put in my gloves, right? The same chemical ones that people use skiing. Yeah. I opened them at 20,000 feet. No oxygen, no heat. There's an important oxygen <laughs> chemical that needs to be there. And so my hands were frozen. I couldn't feel them. I was hiding them like a little monkey paws behind yeah. my wing because they were... And, I know where the little pilot chute is that I have to pull. Yeah. And then when I got to the ground, my hands felt like they were on fire because they started working and I went from a freezing cold raw and I couldn't get the stuff off fast enough. (sighs) And did you worry with numb hands about pulling? Yes. The entire way down. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Because I was sitting there just moving my fingers like, well, I know where it is. And I could see my... My cutaway pillow and my reserve pillow. Uh-huh. And I mean, I at least could probably try to like frozen hand that thing. But it was, uh, I had no altimeter on. I was doing it completely visually because I was worried that if I wore my altimeter that the oxygen hose might wrap around it. Oh. So I calibrated my cameras before jumping. It's camera one, camera two, and then we sent it. <laughs> <laughs> so you got a second opinion by opening it. Yes. Yeah, so like, okay, and go. Yeah. <laughs> so, and I had just finished a base jumping trip, and I remember flying, and I was my goal was to get to the airport, and I had an audible altimeter in both ears, and mm-hmm. the highest alert was set off at 10,000 feet. And I was like, man, if I could just make the airport, I'm going to be good. And I passed the airport before it went off. So I was booking and wow i'm just flying over like grape fields and stuff yeah. just hauling ass because i didn't know where i was going to land because i didn't know where i was exiting i just used the airport as a reference and when i first got out of the plane i got into a spin on my back so i lost sight of the airport 
but the sun was coming up. I'm like, oh, that's the east. It was a little bit left of that, and let's let's party. And then I eventually saw it and corrected course. Flying, flying, flying. First one goes off, ten grand. And you, and I know about how long it should take mm-hmm. between alerts. And I think I had him set it every twenty five hundred feet. Seventy five hundred foot one goes off. Five thousand foot one goes off. I was going to pull around two thousand feet just to maximize the distance. Mm-hmm. And I'm just kind of, countdowns going on in my head. I'm like, that should be going off. Ah. But I'm going to trust my gear. <laughs> nice. So I keep flying and I keep nice. flying. And I had just done a base jumping trip in Europe. And I'm looking down. I'm like, those fucking trees are looking really big. I'm out of here. Just pulled my parachute. It was like, it was lower than legally allowed by United States Parachute Association guidance. Oh, shit. <laughs> I mean, I know trees are larger here in the States than they are in I Europe. That's what I was like, you know what? No, Am I in the red This books? looks wrong. Yeah, I'm like, this looks wrong. I'm deploying a parachute. My, arm, I was just, my arms were smoked. I just unzipped my suit, just came augering in into a dirt field and just laid there for like five minutes like, I am an idiot. I'm never doing that again. Oh, <laughs> What does 195 miles an hour feel like going against the human body? Nothing on it. I really? didn't know. It just it feels like you're flying your suit. I, I wouldn't have been able to tell you if you'd asked me. Like the difference between 120 and 195, you can't. Well, the air was or, much thinner, obviously, okay. and um, it, it felt the same. I mean, my I was traveling that fast through the airstream. I was probably doing 120 to 150 plus the tailwind. Oh, okay. So you know what I mean. My true airspeed and uh, the relative airspeed were. Slightly different, but it, it added up to being that fast. How much? So, a, a, I mean, maybe this is um, a little bit technical, but how much? It seems like you know a lot about this very specifics of the physics of this going on. How well, much is, is it? Oh, I okay. have about just under thirty five hundred hours of flight time. Okay, shit. A wing is that, that's inside uh, a plane. Inside a plane. Yeah, and how yeah. many outside hours of outside of the plane? <laughs> uh, I don't know. Seven thousand jumps plus you know a minute to, to minute, minute and a half jump. per jump. Yeah, on a wingsuit, it's up to three. Yeah, it can really extend your time. It, and a wing is a wing. Yeah. And uh, I started flying long before I flew wingsuits. And when they were talking about energy, I'm like, oh, yeah. And like in stalls and all of those things. It's just you're flying through the – it's just moving through an air mass is all it is. Lift and – Yep. We're basically sitting here with Superman. Except <laughs> Superman can go The only up. person that I've actually met that can fly. Superman – I'm not even – you're falling. Don't get me wrong. I can go up. I can gain a couple hundred feet of altitude in my suit if I'm hauling ass – which is how you end a skydive. You dive, 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 flatten out, so you don't do an accelerated stall through the bottom. Right. Flatten out, pitch up, and I can gain. I literally look down and I watch the numbers on my altimeter start going the other direction. Uh. And at the apex of that, as the airspeed slows, you throw your head forward a little bit to try to go over the handlebars, and you pitch your parachute as you come over the apex. It comes off smooth and soft. That's the it's, softest release. Yep. Sometimes you mess that up. You <laughs> Pitch at the base as you're hauling ass, and you wonder why you got a chiropractic adjustment. <laughs> and it's <laughs> that violent. Did, that and you, you see didn't stars. have to pay for. You're like, oh wow. But it, yeah, I mean, you can, I can only go up once, and at the at the pit top of that apex, if I don't pitch, it's I'm falling straight down. So, Superman can go up and down. So would you get? You would almost get that double void effect of like. Free, like if you hit that apex, it'll feel like nothing again. Like you have no control because you don't have any speed. Correct. Okay. Yeah. And that would feel it's very, terrible. It's very, very mushy. It's okay. Like you can move your wingsuit around a lot and nothing happens. Oh. Where the wingsuit is very, it's, it's rigid. Yeah. There's uh, ram air inlets on the top, uh, every one of the wings, mm-hmm. and it's it's full. I mean, you feel the energy in the wing when you're diving. Mm-hmm. It's hard to describe it, but you can feel that energy bar at the top of the Call of Duty game, ripping towards 100, percent and it. 
when you start to flare, you feel it going the other direction. Fuck. That's, that's, my heart sank as soon as I felt like the... Ah. Yeah. Okay. I, I'm, I'm not going to say that's super cool because <laughs> I don't want to have cool. it's bizarre. anything it's, yeah. to do with that shit. Yeah, it's, <laughs> I get it. I don't recommend I, people do, but for me, it, it it's works. It's the thing. Yeah. 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 And the... And the uh, the bow hunting thing start when you went to when you moved up to Montana or before it did I went on my we moved there in July of last year one of my first bow hunting trip in August of last year no shit yeah so very recent fuck you're on the accelerated I am. trajectory I, I mean am. which does that shock you no, no I was just gonna say which is not at all surprising there's about 90% applicability from my old job yeah I mean, it's like, oh, hey. <laughs> From my old job, like you worked at fucking Kinko's. Well, <laughs> like, well, yeah, you press the button and then the thing comes. You got uh, to understand camouflage. You got to know, understand terrain and GPS. and uh, You do some research on your target. Yeah, and how to move and to stalk. And then, you know, for me, it's, I don't get the adrenaline up and down like you did. It was mm. because that's the first time that you experienced that. For me, my most comfortable moment is when the animal, I'm like, oh, sweet, let's do this. It's all the other things that are there. I mean, I'm just no, being honest, but it, yeah. it's uh, it's all the other stuff that is super challenging. I mean, bow hunting is how many things you can not fuck up. Because it's, I mean, you could do everything perfect and the wind shifts and you're done. The animal runs off. There's nothing you can do about it. Um, or you could do everything perfect and you can miss the shot. You know, it's just, it's, you're trying to manage your mistakes along the way. And I mean, it's, it's tough, but I... I feel like a better person in that environment where it's tough. I, that's where I feel like I am truly me when I'm struggling, when it's hard. That's that for me. That's where the reward comes from, and that's where the yeah, the, the self definition comes from in a way. Also, yeah. Yeah. there was something called like um, uh, it, actually, it might have been from Parts Unknown. There's a quote from a Japanese uh, sushi chef, like one of the best, and he said like. Uh, only the bitters grow in, in hardship. And it was like this this attitude is like we seem very pessimistic or, you know, sometimes realism gets a hold of us. Hashtag realism. Hashtag realism. Uh, but I think that that is something true. Like hardship shapes you a certain way, and that's the only way you can thrive. Um, and there's something. And if, good and if about hardship that. shapes you enough, mm-hmm. then nothing else will allow you to see yourself accurately. Mm. I try to tell my kids that the world is going to do its best to bend them morally and through integrity, whatever it is, learn how to bend yourself first, bend yourself before other people are able to, and you'll do a hell of a lot better in life. Yeah. If you can hurt yourself, it's really hard for other people to start. It's you know? impossible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cause you're like, yeah. I mean, you've already taken yourself past that point. Whereas where I see for most people is that they counsel, I don't want to say the younger generation, even though that's what it's mostly associated with the opposite don't let people push you don't let just nerf everything put yourself into a bubble nobody gets to touch the bubble and to me it makes sense why we have some of the issues and then that when, we do. when we release you from the bubble as an adult you'll be yeah. so well, suited and for then when reality. the world the world outside of your bubble gets a hold of you it's going to go really well for you but this yeah. is why when we were in the office in the office earlier and talking and i said yeah wear a helmet but don't be lame and all i'm you know point that at the kids and just say dude it's okay to break your arm yeah. don't break your head because you might not come back from that yeah but you can break your arm you can break your leg you just got and so you know protect the the you know the computer all the other stuff we can fix that shit hardware and you, might, and you might learn something along the way you yeah. may in fact most yeah. of the times you do 
Yeah. I, I think there, there's a, a backlash to this thing of, of protecting people because it seems like the intuitive thing to do. It seems, and, and this goes, this is the dichotomy of um, <laughs> parenting, is that we're looking at each situation like perhaps we want the best outcome for the people that we love. And sometimes that, and you said it earlier that uh, in the short term, there's success in the long term it's failure and it's the opposite with good like growth for people and i think that protection um for people seems like a good idea like hey let's protect these kids from any kind of harm whatsoever bad feelings people calling them names because they deserve it or whatever and we don't know exactly how bad that's going to whip the other way and i think it's going to be really bad like in the in just the very simple case of like don't ever touch anybody don't ever let anybody touch you and it's like well now i have no sensitivity towards like how to how to communicate with people on that level we're animals we touch each other like you you see it in in jujitsu when you get a kid who has knows nothing but zero to 100 percent, and he goes 100 percent because he has no sensitivity towards that then he hurts somebody he has no idea how to practice and that, that will be the outcome of some of this stuff i think um it's a valuable I think it's, lesson i kids. think it's tied into a lot of the issues that we see mm-hmm. I don't know how it's tied, but like people ask me all the time, school shootings, right? Where the hell did this come from? I don't have an answer. Mm-hmm. I don't have an answer for how to, to stop it. Although I do, I can't say it didn't start overnight. So it's not going to stop overnight either. The, uh, the thing, obvious answer to anybody is get rid of schools. No more school obviously. shootings. Yeah. <laughs> or extend <laughs> summer break, right? Yeah. <laughs> because that's the only thing stopping it right now. Let's be honest. That's the only reason it's not continuing is because exactly. they're at summer break. But... I look so, at <laughs> this is a brilliant fucking answer for fuck's sake no why school, blame the no object shootings. when you can blame the environment yeah but did you have access to guns growing up because yes. I did yes I, I, I actually did not okay I, I came I to did. it much later nor did, but there nor were guns in society when all yeah. of us were growing yeah. up and there, there were guns in my home yeah they were I invented just, I think yeah. as a matter of fact in 2014 but keep going oh, perfect okay <laughs> I'll have to make an annotation of that but I look I just look I look at it from the uh, my, the lens of my own mm-hmm. life like I never the most dangerous thing that happened when I was in high school is I remember a kid brought a flathead screwdriver and that was a big deal and because he could break into the gym with that, or like, I don't know. But, but I look at the interactions I had okay. in high school, and they were all tied to physical consequences. Yeah. If I wanted to talk shit to somebody, I had three routes to do it. One was in person. Well, actually, I might have had more. I would either have to find somebody who knew their phone number to call them on the rotary phone that I had. <laughs> I could try to find their address to mail them a very snarky and mean letter. <laughs> Right? But all of those things were going to, you know, eventually result in a face to face, face to face consequence. Yeah. And it governed my behavior. I look at my kids and it's like I my kids love first person video games and it drives me nuts. Not because they're blowing shit up, but because what, real so, world. Wait, 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 wait. So wait, saying, so saying, hashtag, I'll be glad to say this to your face is not the same thing as saying it to your face. Correct. Weird. But. But the funny thing is when we talk about like first person game. Jumbo I, shrimp. I, you say you say jumbo shrimp, I think plate of shrimp. And then I immediately go to I do my best thinking on the bus. Driving makes you stupid. 
it's a movie from the eighties. <laughs> Repo Man. Anyway, um, but but this idea of like, oh, it's a first person, but you, no, no, you, you no, you, you're not first per- first person. Sort of gives like it gives you the impression that you're around other people. But that's what the kids yeah. who are young can't. They can't they, make that gap exactly. And I. You know, people call them Generation X or Generation Y. They're the Avatar generation. Because I watch my kids build their avatars in these games. Mm. And I will, I'll plug in and just listen and not interject. And it's like, one of the reason I hate first person video games is truly because real world tactics don't fucking work. Because you can go into a room and jump in circles and spray everybody on full auto. And that shit doesn't work. So it drives me nuts. (laughs) I refuse to play them. Yeah. That's a slight digression. But that's my kids like, come play with me. I'm like, no. All you do is shoot rockets from a mile away and you kill me. RPGs don't go that far. Go fuck yourself. (laughs) Science. Science. (laughs) But the interaction that I hear on those, it's first person, right? They they, they can't make that link. And there's some disconnect between things that are said and done and consequence. The the nature of the violence that I hear in just the language, I'm going to kill you, motherfucker. Like... Mm-hmm. I, if I said that to somebody in high school, I was going to get my ass stomped. Yeah. It was gonna at least or I was going to have to actually follow do up. It, it yeah. would at least terminate in a physical consequence. And I, it, I don't, I'm not smart enough to figure it out, but there's something in that world of living so connected, but so detached at exactly the same time. Yeah. My kids, like they Snapchat. I'm like, who the hell are you Snapchatting? Oh, this guy goes to another uh, school. Do you actually know this person? No. Like, what the fuck? <laughs> but in their head, they think that they're they friends, know. but they don't know each other. It's a completely this different This is not way. just a juvenile problem either. This is, uh, if my window to the world is an iPad and Instagram, I have the assumption because I've seen pictures and evidence and people told me that it happened, that it happened. And that's a misconception about the world. Like yeah. anybody knows that it is different if you are there. And, um, I think you nailed it with the with the consequences and human interaction face to face, because that's but something. That, I mean, that could be built into video games, and it well, was demonstrated in the last James Bond movie that Sean Connery played in. You know, his comeback movie, Never Say Never, I think, yeah, or whatever it was. And he had the beautiful video game about you know overtaking different countries in the world, where he you know played the villain who was represented by Klaus Maria Brandauer, very, very, very good Bond villain. And you had an electric shock of escalating (laughs) intensity every time you lost territory. And, like, bring it back. Let's do it. You guys want to play video games? Okay. Can you imagine how awesome Call of Duty would be with that? <laughs> Nobody would play it. No. Yeah, exactly. Nobody would play it. I think I would start. You no, know, it would be even worse. Like some people would play because they could take the pain. But what if we take your shit away? <laughs> like, let's have some real consequence. All your material stuff that you so highly value, much more than you value physical discomfort, we'll take that instead. So I haven't ever told this story before, but in sixth grade, <laughs> I shot somebody. Wait, what? Yeah, let me back up. Okay. I made a homemade bone arrow (laughs) out of a skewer a pen tip and a rubber band and i was like awesome i shot that thing from about 20 feet away and it stuck in this kid's ass and i was like nice oh fuck hide the evidence before anything but But essentially the consequences were i had to pay reparations i was suspended it was like immediately but do you know what the biggest was was it was like a shame factor when i came back from suspension i was the kid who like really fucked up 
And that was bigger punishment than any of the other stuff is to be looked down upon for By doing the group. something stupid. Yep. Right. Yeah. And I was like, oh, this is how it works. And so, you know. Don't fuck up. Don't fuck up. Yeah. Or, don't you shoot know, people in the ass. Or shoot the right person in the ass. Mm. Or, like what? Well, <laughs> it was never, I don't know what it was about that experience that shaped me, but it had like, to be How did you something. choose your target? Uh, his name was Kirk. He's a fucking dick. Okay, so he was a fucking dick. That's why he was a target. Yeah, it wasn't. It wasn't like random. No, 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 no. This kid I did not like. Okay, and so I shot him. <laughs> and learned. <laughs> I can't wait till I teach kids this. <laughs> <laughs> I had this conversation, a very similar conversation with the neighbor like two weeks ago. He has a couple shot of kids you in the ass. <clears throat> no, <laughs> no. Uh, so he's a he's got a fifteen year old and he's like it's weird I hear him, like him and his friends like hanging out and it just sounds like a bunch of girls hanging hanging out like they just like witter on and talk about social media he's like it's like in my day like you just went and punched someone but but parents get so offended now and oh we're gonna press charges and blah blah, blah. he's like I don't really care it's like when I hear them like bitching and moaning sounding like teenage girls. I tell him to get out of the house. It's like that. This is not helping, and go away. And and I mean, he's in his, he's probably mid to late fifties. So he's and this is his youngest child, and he's like, I I'm afraid for him. So he, he's, yeah. So he is currently at a boys' ranch. <laughs> nice. So he yeah. is being some, a ranch hand some, for a month. That's pretty good. Yeah, I mean, I think those like physical hardship is something that will, uh, you know, when shared with young, especially adolescent males, um, it it changes their perspective and the relationship with you know those virtual sensations. Mm. When you've when you've experienced real sensation, Mm. good, bad, you know, whatever, then that other stuff, I think, yeah, you can you, you you it might change. You might not be completely you might not completely disengage from it, but you might be able to see it more as a novelty than as reality because you have experienced reality. I don't know. Boys Ranch or... Southern Utah, July. It ain't, it ain't cold. So, sounds like a good time, right? Yeah. No. yeah so. I can't believe we've solved so many problems during this discussion. So eliminate schools, <laughs> yeah, yeah. labor camps. It's a, it's a solution that I haven't heard of yet, but uh, I'm actually tossing it around in my head right now. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Base came, jumping at labor camps? Is it, that what I just said? Base jumping at labor camps. <laughs> it's, it can be an elective. It came sure. up as a, as a part joke because what Naval Ravikant is talking about the uselessness of actual public education. Of, because of education it is these fucking days, yeah. absolutely useless. Like 100%. It is daycare for basically parents that don't want to be around their kids most of the day. And it becomes like, it becomes a buy-in to, you know, we have some societal things where we get into houses that we then need to work to, parents need to work to fulfill the status of that thing. And then they need somebody to take care of the kids. Child care and actual so child need another care. job on top of just that don't to have the nanny. Kids. Yeah, if you chi- can't afford them, just don't, don't have kids. Have ki- imagine that. Like, you want a license Wait. for a gun, I think we should have a license for a kid, but whatever. <laughs> yeah, you've obviously we're, never we're leaving you hanging cost. on that one, man. Go, go, no, go. No, no. So, <laughs> you've always never paid the, co- the hospital bill for having a kid. It feels yeah. like a license. Uh, but you look at the numbers, and this is something that, like, you cannot improve education by throwing money at it. It is almost the opposite. There's so much noise involved into it. So it's one of those things where, where it's in an impasse, and now you see bad stuff happening at it, and you're like, we have all of the education we need 
people just need to be teachers when they have children. And that's what people are not willing to do. I'm not willing to teach my own child is, you know, they want nothing to do with it. That is kind of a, a rare thing now when you sit down, <laughs> teach your kid a concept and then follow through on that concept, like make sure they understand it. Um, I, I haven't seen that happen in a really long time. And we, I try to do it with my stepdaughter and it's, it's hard because she is not used to that kind of pressure. Almost every lesson has tears in it at some point, no matter how benign it is, whether it's an addition problem or, you know, a, a concept in science that she wanted to learn. It can be fun, sure, but she has to break through this thing. Like, you and I'll need, do it at you, hard You need times. to protect her from those tears, man. <laughs> you mean when she showed up and she's like, it's Easter. And I was like, before you get any Easter candy, you need to do a full page report on where Easter came from and the history and its implications. So she's like, how do I do that? I was like, Google Easter. And so she came back with some... With a pen and paper? Yeah. With some wrong information. I was like, wrong. You looked at the wrong thing. You need to decide what's wrong and wrong. And we got into a really hard conversation about when she sees something on the internet, how does she know whether it's true or not? Fuck. <laughs> That's a really hard question to answer. Okay, that ends in tears almost immediately. <laughs> I wanted to cry in that one. And so it was you need hard. to go and get like like actual paper encyclopedias and maybe encyclopedia britannica you know like all 24 mm. volumes so of i can get them cheap on ebay these days and, and just make and say oh. pick a book yeah imagine when she went to school talking about <laughs> oster and what bunny rabbits have to do with the goddess of fertility <laughs> <laughs> she's not going to have very many friends but she will be fucking intelligent god damn it <laughs> <laughs> The goddess of fertility. And I, this is at it like rabbits. Okay, is that what? Yeah, the celebration of fertility. That's why rabbits are involved because they fuck like rabbits. <laughs> okay, so where do the colored eggs come from? Oh, I don't know. I think that that would be Germanic, because it comes from three different places. Okay, so yeah, they're, they're, it, it's just, a blend of. Like a I think you need to go back and leave it. One of them. Well, and one of them. again. Easter, yeah, where the Christian celebration comes from is Nicene 14, which is Passover, and then they because Constantine had to, you know, inject Christianity into modern uh, Rome, he had to accept the goddess Oster, fertility goddess, and so they kind of mishmashed all these things together. So you get Passover, Easter, all this stuff, kind of. So it's like I'll I'll, I'll I'll take a piece of your pagan shit, yeah, yeah. but you got to take a you bigger take piece mine. of my because right, right. it's not Easter, like not pagan or what I don't know, I don't know what you call that, but well, pagan just means non-believer. It could be infidelism. Yeah, yeah, but I, I but, but but yeah, but that only gets you like twenty three percent at the table. <laughs> see, but 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 we'll give you that is okay. what I'm saying. But you got to take the seventy seven percent of my made up. Or whatever. I mean, I don't know. Like, I'm, the I'm good a, stuff. I'm a fucking the good, the good stuff. stuff. Yeah, we got the good stuff. Yeah. You can keep your uh, fertility. We like people who like you know who make more babies. So, oh, yeah. until until we don't. until we don't until we do, until <laughs> until we realize like wow we should not have pushed that rock down that hill. Aids <laughs> <laughs> in Africa. <laughs> we 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 don't like fertility. <laughs> it's a sin for contraception. It, so. oh. <laughs> Chris is shaking his head. So. I, well, I, Michael I, I, can I, open a rabbit hole. Or, it, 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 like, I win, and I'm chopped <laughs> liver. Right? Is that what this is? He's so special. No, I'm. <laughs> well, we could go into Christmas next, but I'll digress off of that. <laughs> we don't have enough time, man. No, I, yeah, we're we're, we're coming up on another beep. It's the height um, of summer. I don't know how long we've been going. 
Anybody uh, got two and a half, two hours, two and a half hours, two and a half. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm thinking, it, like it beeped at an un, at an odd time. It used to be at 90 minutes, and now it seems to have a mind of its own. <laughs> I, you know, honestly, it's I think barely probably. over two hours. Oh, okay. I think so we've, co- we've got we've covered a lot of stuff. I'm gonna guess 2:35, but okay. Yeah. <laughs> Just a guess. I, Just a guess. <laughs> I I don't know. Do we uh, anybody else got something they want to throw on the table? Political dissent. I think <laughs> those guys I, are just pointing at each other. I think I, this is uh, like listening to this is kind of, I had no idea it was going to go down this realm, and I'm really glad it did. Um, I was expecting something totally different, and this is my favorite part about this thing is A, who comes in here and what the fuck gets put out is always a surprise, and in most times it's a pleasure. Thank you for making me feel so insignificant, Andy. I really appreciate <laughs> you it. You made yourself feel that way. <laughs> it's because I wasn't loved as a child. That's what it was. Bad parenting. Too many fences. Yeah. <laughs> or the fences were too high. Yeah. 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 yeah the, 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 the main fence that got put around me, I mean, he split when I was 10. So after that, I was good. Nice. Or on my own anyway. Um, gentlemen, thank you. Yeah, that yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I think we, we actually... Based on the notes that I have, I think we've got some other things to address in the future, and I hope we can make that happen, you know, um, in the organic way that it probably will. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. I appreciate you coming down, and yeah, I look forward me. to seeing what you do. Thanks, Andy. Yeah, man. Thanks, thanks Chris. Chris. Thanks, man. Ross, thank you for joining us this evening. However... Uh, insignificant you felt at the end of it you know we can probably <laughs> fix that tomorrow it, it's, it's you know, cool it's yeah. cool i'll survive okay i hope i hope i can <laughs>